This week on Punch Mountain. Look, I know you've seen a million movies about a martial arts specialist who has to recover his kidnapped elephant, but trust me, this one is different. Cancel your water festival plans because we're watching The Protector. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I am joined, as always, by a man who knows all the weak spots on elephants, Mr. David Hada. The elephant slayer himself. How are you, Mac Blake? (laughs) I'm okay. I'm doing good. I'm excited, David. Normally these shows, I, I can't wait for them to be over. But in this case, <laughs> this one's going to be good because not only are we talking about The Protector starring Tony Jaa, we also have a very special guest on Punch Mountain tonight. Writer, comedian, thought leader. What cannot this person do? Is that how you talk? I hope so. I like to describe myself as a thought leader. Absolutely. Yeah, for Thank sure. you. You're the first one who said it without me having to go. Can you make sure you introduce me as a thought leader? She's already turning her chair backwards. She's she's going to tell some truths tonight. <laughs> I love it. Kath Barbadoro. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I This movie holds a special place in my heart. So thank you for watching it with me. Uh, so Kath, uh, David is in Colorado. I'm, in, I'm stuck in this hellhole of Austin, Texas. And where are you uh, broadcasting from right now? I'm in uh, I'm in New York City. I'm in the Big Apple. Oh my goodness! Fancy. I assume an elephant would like to eat. I don't know. I fed an elephant a pumpkin once, and he liked it. So where was well, this? Imagine you like a yeah. big apple. Uh, I went to India in college. I studied abroad Whoa. and uh, got to hang out with some elephants. So I this movie really it spoke to me. It it was exactly like this movie, honestly. Many of the same things happened. Had you seen The Protector before you went to India? Were you like just sort of talking people's ear off? Yes, actually. Okay, was like, oh, I could uh, rupture this elephant's Achilles and uh, it would be crippled. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I knew all the weak spots, but I didn't choose to use them because the elephants were nice. Weird thing about elephants, they are surprisingly hairy. You don't think there's going to be hair and there's more hair than you expect. And it's very gross. It's like boar bristle hair, you know? Well, yeah, because they've got like that old guy or like like a doll that's been abused where it's just sort of like, bing, 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 bing. Like it's kind of like sprouting out exactly. here and there. But it's all, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's uh, that's not fun. That sound effect was like perfect for yes. the type of hair it is. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to call myself a fan of elephants, but now they sound disgusting. Ugh. <laughs> they're kind of nasty. I mean, they're cool. You can tell they're like smart in a way that is kind of freaky because they're so big and I don't know, like, you know, when you like are near a cow or something and you're like, oh, this is a sweet animal because it's so dumb. And like it, uh, it thinks that it can trust me, even though I'm, I will eat its family. You know what I mean? Elephants, you know, they, they don't trust you. They sense that you are also smart and, uh, they have like a weird vibe. The reason we're doing so much darn elephant talk is because we're talking about the protector starring Tony Jaa. This is a movie from Thailand. Now, Kath, when we asked you to be on the podcast, thank you for saying yes. You gave us a list of movies you want to do, and this was on there. Uh, What made you uh, suggest this movie? So um, when you ask me about action movies, my favorite form of action movie is a martial arts movie. That's what I'm into. Usually, like the less guns, the better. I I want the punches. I want the flips. I want the stunts. That's what I like in an action movie. And this one and Tony Jaa's previous movie, Ang Bak, I was really into in high school. Uh, I was in high school when these came out. 
And my friend Dan and I, I'm going to send Dan this episode. So shout out to Dan, a good friend of mine in high school. He was like obsessed with Tony Ja and he brought over Ong Bak to my house. And he was like, you have to watch this. It is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And uh, Tony Ja just like blew our minds. Like, I think this was the early 2000s. I hadn't seen anybody do this like Muay Thai style of, of martial arts before. Like that was kind of a new thing. And it just like totally blew our minds. We thought he was amazing. I thought he was really cute. We liked Ong Bak a little better, but this one is so over the top and like campy almost that it really, it really delighted us. We watched both of them all the time. They were just really good. And Tony Jaa as like a figure in martial arts cinema is such a weird, interesting story. Like I would, I, I, I don't know how much you guys know about kind of what happened to him. A little, only oh, a little. Oh man, okay. Tell us. Yeah, please go ahead. So when Ong Bak and this movie came out, We'll probably talk about this, but the the protector that we watched is the American cut of this movie, yes. which has 25 minutes less movie in it and thus doesn't make a whole lot of sense <laughs> as a movie. But because Ong Bak had been this like cult hit, this got bought by Weinstein. Uh, Harvey, this is yet another one of Harvey Weinstein's crimes. One of the lesser ones. I'd put it low on the list, but he did cut a bunch of shit out of this movie. But anyway, so this was like a, it was a big deal. It was like Quentin Tarantino presents uh, this movie and it did really well. It did really well in Thailand. It did fairly well in the US. And then Tony Jaa was like, I want to direct my own movies. I'm like tired of working with other directors. I want to be in charge. And then he like really couldn't take the heat of being in charge. And he went incredibly over budget for, uh, he was making Ong Bak 2, I think was the next one he was making. And he ended up basically running away from his problems by joining a Buddhist monastery. And he he became a Buddhist monk for several years in Thailand. To And people think it was basically to like get out of his contract. There's a, a story that he was maybe kidnapped and threatened by people from like the film studio. And anyway, so these movies are stuck in production hell for a really long time. They come out, they're really not good. They're really disjointed. And uh, because they'd had like, they'd been through so many hands by the time they came out. And like he, he comes out of the monastery eventually. And then these movies come out and then that's kind of like, his career is kind of over. Like when Ong Bak came out, people were like, this guy is the next Jackie Chan. Like he is amazing. Like people were all about uh, Tony Jaa. And then the protector, people fucking love the protector. It was like becoming a crossover hit in the US. People thought he was going to have this huge career, but he basically just got too stressed out <laughs> and ran away to a monastery. He literally rode an elephant to a monastery, by the way. That is I part of the it. story. So yeah, hopefully the same one. Hopefully that the elephant from the protector also quit show business and uh, rode off to the monastery. But yeah, so it's just this like weird time capsule of this like sort of failed promise of this guy who- Failed uh, promise, Kath? I'm sure it's maybe a little movie coming out called Expendables 4, starring Tony Jaa. <laughs> he cannot be contained. He's in that. Yeah. He's in, a, he's in a Fast and Furious movie too. He makes a cameo every now yeah. and then. His Fast and Furious role bums me out because I think he gets beaten up by not even Paul Walker, but like Paul Walker's brother. Because I think the fight scenes got yeah. filmed after Paul Walker died. <laughs> but I did not know any of that stuff about Tony Jaa. That is interesting. Now, yeah. when's the last time you saw The Protector? Oh, I mean, before this, I think it was probably when I was in high school in my basement with my friend Dan. I'm pretty sure. We used to sometimes play a game where um, you would drink anytime you heard the bone breaking sound. Oh, that my was goodness. Our so Dan is a ghost now? <laughs> <laughs> He's dead. R.I.P. 
He he's reformed. He has two kids and lives in the Twin Cities now. Shout out Dan. Yeah, we were just doing dirtbag shit in, in my basement. Cause there, yeah, there is a full skeleton of broken bones in this movie for sure. Yeah, there's a literal skeleton of bones in this movie. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into it, but briefly, did the movie hold up for you? I mean, is it as you remembered it? You know, it didn't hold up for me in the sense that I forgot how little sense it made and how bad a lot of the editing was. I almost wonder if we eventually got our hands on the Thai version. I feel like we might have because we were such big fans. I did forget most of the plot. The main thing I remember is the big fight scene where he goes up the spiral staircase. That's like the big main part that I remember. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of the showpiece of the movie. But it is in the middle, which is kind of weird. And then the the basically like the Street Fighter part. I, I remember that when he's in the temple. Yeah. Oh, where he beats up that car. Uh, David, what about you? Have you seen this movie before? I have not seen this movie. I had seen Ong Bak around the time that it came out. I guess that was uh, a Netflix delivery. That one got mailed to me. Mm. So this was like, you know, the 2000s. I was just mainlining movies. I was just trying to like... Because when you're living in Austin, you kind of want to keep up with the people who are obsessed with film. So I'm like, all right, fine, I'll watch three movies a day. And so I'm just ingesting whatever I can. And so Angba came along, and I really enjoyed it. But I remember it felt like homework, where it's like, hey, you know, if you like this, you might like this and this and this and this and this and this. And I was like, I'm, mm. I'm done. Like, I was that way with with Jackie Chan when he made it stateside, where it was like, hey, Rumble in the Bronx, if you like that, how about First Strike? If you like that, how about Super Cop? And I was like, I'm not doing this again. Yeah. So uh, I will say, like, when we got your short list, you know, I know it was going to be either Ong Bak or The Protector. I thought The Protector might play better in the same way that, like, sequels play better on the show. Like, I'm thinking of, like, RoboCop 2 specifically, where it's like, look, RoboCop is what it is. It's brilliant. It's It has a lot to say. With RoboCop 2, there's like, let's just get asses in seats. Let's just, you know, do whatever dumb shit we can. So, like, there's always that second movie feeling. And I, and I wanted to see if this had it. And, uh, you know, all modesty aside, I think we nailed it with this one. Like, I, I, I think getting the American version where there's 25 minutes taken out, I think that lends to the what the fuck ability of this movie. I'm really looking forward to talking about this. Mac, where, where do you stand with with uh, The Protector? I'd seen it once before because when my feral wife and I got married, we honeymooned in Thailand. And I, being a goon, was like, oh, let's get a little culture. I'll download Ong Bak <laughs> and The Protector and take it with us. And so I do remember this movie being awesome, like Tony Job, you know, just being like a one-person special effect. I also definitely remember the what the fuck edits and these things where it's just like, oh, all of a sudden he's fighting a guy and uh, cut to him sleeping in an alley. Like, it does not make sense. But <laughs> when I was writing down the notes for this movie, I was like, oh, it's the protector, also known as, uh, by its Thai name, Tom Yam Gung. But then I was like, no, as Kath pointed out, this version is definitely different. 25 minutes shorter. It's got a different score. This thing is the fucking protector. Like, we're not, this does not count as Tom Yum Goong. Tom Yum Goong is still eligible to have a different position on Punch Mountain. Maybe one day we'll watch it mm. in an, uh, for an inventory episode or something like that. Didn't a Wu-Tang member do the score? I feel like, yeah, like RZA the, or was somebody the RZA. did the score for yep. this. <laughs> nice. No offense to RZA, one of his lesser works. Uh, I gotta say, <laughs> not yeah. It's it's no liquid swords. It's you know he's doing what he can. I don't know the the two thousands R and B that spices up that mud bath scene. Oh man, <laughs> uh, those are some <laughs> underwear droppers. Because I don't wear panties, but uh, yeah, it was great. But one of the things I love about Tony Jaw's fighting style is that like there's a lot of disrespect in his hits. A lot of the fighting, he's not just beating dudes up. He's like smacking them down. Like if you come at Tony Jaw, yeah. And he like knocks your hands away and then punches you. 
there's an implication there. It's like, you, you made a huge fucking mistake and you're an idiot for it. Like, it's not just like, here comes an honorable fight. I, you know, may the best fighter prevail. It's like, get the fuck out of my face, bitch. Like, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, he is, he's definitely very entertaining. His strikes have like a little bit of like a, like a dope slap to them. Like wherever they're delivering it, it's like he's hitting you on the back of the head. Well, just fundamentally, I like the fact that he's not killing people in this movie. He's just, yeah. you know, he's just dispatching them. There's so much writhing in this movie. There's so much, there's so many bad guys on the ground. It's like, oh, so like, you know, at some point they have to get up. They have to go home. That ride home is what that could make a whole nother movie of just the humiliation <laughs> the henchmen feel on their way home from getting beaten up by Tony Jaa. Uh, yeah, I, I cannot wait. I think that's why I like martial arts movies so much is because there is like, it's the same like I'm a big pro wrestling fan. I feel like it's the same thing of like, I like the spectacle of it. I don't need carnage. I don't need bodies. I don't need... The injury of it is not the part that is, like, interesting to me. You can just, like, it could be, like, Power Rangers, like, putties. If he does the arm crack move and then they disappear, that's fine with me. I it's I like the cool moves. I like the flips and the knees and all that stuff. It's why I don't like guns, because just, like, bang, bang, and then they're dead. And who, doesn't do it for yeah. me. I need the circus. Wow, sick Power Rangers putty reference there, KB. You've already earned your keep. Thank you. <laughs> though, what? Does your keep cost money? It doesn't matter. Hey, before we go any further, I think it would help to clear up some common questions. If you search The Protector Tony Jaa on Google, that makes it sound like it's autobiographical. The results include these frequently asked questions, so we will do some quickly provided answers. David, how can I watch The Protector 2005? Oh my God, are you kidding me? It's playing every two hours at your local water festival. Just find the nearest one and go watch The Protector there. Cap, who is the big guy in The Protector? Uh, that would be anyone who is not the main star, who is very tiny. David, what is the name of the elephant in Ong Bak? Well, first of all, we're talking about The Protector. Second of all, it's named after my favorite new metal band, Stained. Before we discuss a story of a man desperate to find a stolen elephant, let's check in with some friends who can maybe hook you up with a stolen dolphin or two. It depends. Who's asking? Are you a cop? Are you a cop? Are you a cop? What do you need? It's a friendship check-in. Our friendship. First of all, Kath Barbadora, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Wonderful. Super. All right. <laughs> Is that our friend check-in? Yeah. Do you have anything going on in your life? Um, I'm probably gonna watch Ong Bak later after this. I've got the I've got the taste for uh some more some more knees to people's faces. You were infected with some on bacteria. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Let that be the last. <laughs> you know it won't be. <laughs> David Hada, how are you doing, buddy? Mac, I am on cloud nine. I don't know how they got them. But the Pluto channel got my letters and they have answered my prayers. Uh, they now have a channel that shows the old 90s game show Studs. I don't oh, know if you've ever heard of goodness. the show Studs. Of course. Catherine, are you familiar with Studs at all? No, but I love Studs. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so Studs was a, was a game show from the early 90s, like from 1990 to 1992. It did not run very long. It was on like Fox affiliates after, after the late local news. So what it was is it was two people on a couch. And then three people on a couch. It would, you know, let's say in this case, it'd be two guys, three gals. The two guys go on dates with the three gals and then they kind of have to love connection. And like the host will give like blind item quotes and the guys have to figure out who said those quotes. Ooh. But it's very double entendre. It's very like, sure. oh, he, I was all ready for his seed, but then it ended up in my hair. And then they asked the lady and she's like, well, we went to the bird sanctuary and I was getting ready to feed the birds. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of that. It's a lot of 90s fashion. We watched an episode last night where the guy was wearing a vest and nothing else. And none of the gals picked him. So it was like, oh, 
brutal. Walking back to the car with your vest over your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he took off the vest? Well, he's not going to wear it out to the lot because he'll be like, it's him. Get him. <laughs> this is the, the best he could do is take off the vest and hope, and hope for the best. David, I'm sensing a theme with who you're sympathizing with in the media you watch, which is the guy dejectedly walking back to his car. That seems to be your guy in these things. Broken armed henchmen and vest wearing studs contestants. I'm really hoping that there's a groundswell of like popularity for that because I've got an autobiography I really want to release. And, and I don't know <laughs> if it's going to play to these audiences. So I just, I'm, I'm testing the waters right now. Mac, honey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I signed up. David for a, a, a race, like one of these uh, things where you, you run around a certain distance. God, why? I did not have time to properly train for it. And so I ran about two thirds of it. And then I, I walked and ran for like the last part. And ah, man, it just, if you could hear my internal monologue, it would have been like, what a clown show. Like, all right, see that cone? When you walk to that cone, gonna start running again. Oh, and you get yeah. to that cone and it was like, you know what though? That cone over there, that's, it's really part of the same <laughs> cone system. So that's the cone I'm going to start running at. And then here we go. It's only eight more minutes, probably. A minute later, ah, uh, now you got to stop again. You just got to stop. How long was the race? Yeah, you know, we don't even have to get into that, Kath. It was definitely a 5K, <laughs> the the weakest of the races. David, do you remember our friend Gilgzy? I do, yes, of course. I believe Gilgzy is like a marathon person now. And she saw me at this uh, race. And she had to slow down to say hi to me. And David, she was also pushing a stroller with two children. So, yes. <laughs> uh, definitely. Let this be a lesson to us all. Do not sign up for a race. Don't do it. Who are you kidding? Was this for a cause? Did you let anybody down or was it just you? Always myself, David. But I, I've gotten real good now at just being like, well, that's more than I was normally going to do on a Sunday morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's true. And then somebody would be like, yeah, but you could have gone running without spending like the $30 race fee or something. And that's the thing too. I don't want any of this swag. Like they'll give me like a shirt or a bag. I don't want it. I'm not going to wear it. So I just like, oh, you get a free. It's like, you could keep it, please. I don't. Because it's also going to be your scarlet letter. Like you don't want to walk around with like the little sneakers 5k fun one t-shirt and like, hey, did you like doing that? It's like, I didn't finish the fun one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did one uh, last year that I, I took like some medication I don't normally take right before the race. <laughs> Nothing crazy. It was like Mucinex or something, but it like drained me and I it, just, it was like a shit show. And afterwards they gave me like a shirt and I was like, I just don't even, if you put it in my hand, I'm going to just open my hand and let it fall <laughs> to the ground. It's a cursed item. It's crazy that the way that you framed that story is exactly the way you would frame it if you had won the race and then been accused of using performance enhancing drugs. Just like the same, you'd run in a race. Let's take some medication I don't normally take. Let's, we'll see. Either I'll win or I'll lose. I definitely have some leftover steroids in my medicine cabinet from when I was trying to like get rid of a cough. And last year when I took them, I accidentally uh, signed up for a hot yoga class and it was like the easiest hour of my life. And then I did it again <laughs> like a month later uh, off the steroids and it was fucking hell. And so I I actually thought about like, you know, you could just, you didn't really train for this one as well as you, you could have, um, you could just take some of their steroids and then I'm like, then what are we doing? What are we doing? You know what I mean? There's no, oh wow, you're really- I know. I thought about it. I thought about it. I didn't, though. I didn't. This is the most it's always sunny your life has been in a long time. <laughs> Look, all I needed is some coworker to be like, uh, I'll, I'll be, you know, to say some shitty cocky thing to me and I would just would have been crushing those roids into my veins. 
<laughs> you got to inject them into your butt like Hulk Hogan. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Mm, and what That's a butt. That's how they work the best. Thank you. Thank you for putting that in my head. <laughs> oh, no, David. I, I think I heard the scream of an elephant. Is it time to do this thing? Matt, grab your collar with the bell on it. We're going in. Okay, David, in case someone is unfamiliar with The Protector or Tom Yum Goong, or they just haven't seen it in a while, just a level set, could you give the back of the box description? You bet I can. Martial arts superstar Tony Ja burns up the screen in his first film since Ong Bak the Thai Warrior made him an international sensation. Reuniting with his Ong Bak director, Ja delivers bone-breaking thrills and amazing gravity-defying action, Daily Star UK, performed without stunt doubles, wires, or CGI. Well, <laughs> okay. Packed with incredible fight scenes, mesmerizing Muay Thai moves, and a jaw-dropping final showdown that pits Ja against 50 enemies, The Protector is a terrific martial arts epic, Sunday Mirror UK. 2005, 83 minutes, directed by Pracha Pinkayu, rated R for pervasive strong language and some sexual content. Look, I don't want to put disrespect in the name of the director, but I definitely hit some moment while watching this thing was, it's probably this guy's first film he directed. I shouldn't be too hard on him. <laughs> I think it was his, his fourth, so. But anyway. Oh, by the way, that director, he's got his own production company. And before this movie starts, you get its title card, and it is Ba Ram U Productions. A Babe fan. Couldn't you tell from the movie that that guy loves Babe? Very similar films. I don't know if anyone's done research on this. I haven't. I'm asking. But, like, it does that come from something else besides Babe? Is that, like, an old mantra that lived before 1995 in a pig movie? Uh, I'm doing some quick-ass research. Go to that Google Books thing and see if someone wrote Ba Ram U once in 1923 or something. You know that search where it shows you what the last time a term was used? No. In a, in a Yeah, it's like you can look and see when, like, different phrases were published. I just saw one today on Twitter, and it was someone who searched the word situationship, and it was, like, all, you know, very recent. And then there was one in 1945. And they were like, who was having a situation ship on the Western Front? What was happening? It's the best search. So anyway, Baram you. I'm just glad that we all knew it as the thing from Babe and wasn't just like, yeah, why are you bringing this up? We all knew immediately. It was like, why the fuck was that there? It has to be a reference to something else. But I tell you, if I ever cross paths with this director, I'm just going to go up to him and I'm just going to bleat at him. Baram you. (laughs) (laughs) And if he turns to me and he says, to your breed, your fleece, your clan be true, sheep be true then I'll probably explode like, uh, or turn into to dust like I was snapped by Thanos. You know, maybe this guy, like, his real goal was just to work with animals, not to make martial arts movies. And that's why he named his production company that. And he was like, finally, we can get some elephants in here. You know, now that I've proven myself with humans. Then there might be hope for his career after all. David, how does this movie start? Mac, this movie starts with a production card letting the audience know that this movie is humbly presented by Quentin Tarantino. From there, we learn a surprising amount about elephants, that kings would ride them into battle, and that kings would also derive their power from the spirits of elephants. We also learn about the proud lineage of warriors trained in Muay Thai to protect the elephants, and that's how we're introduced to Kam, played by Tony Ja. Kam has grown up raising elephants with his father, played by Sotorn Rungruyang, who has a dream that one day his prized elephant, Poriyai, will pass the royal test and will be accepted into the king's fleet of big deal elephants. Yeah, his dream is to one day spend all his money and life raising an elephant and then some dude will just take it. And you might be like, well, this this takes place back in a, a system where the king of Thailand was more than a figurehead. Uh, no, no, my guys. Uh, it, uh, this is a modern day, <laughs> quote unquote, modern day film. Yeah, it's like the village. He's like, you don't know where it takes place. And then they just drive down the road and you're like, oh, this is 2005. Okay. 
I mean, maybe you get like, I don't know, you get access to like the VIP. If you that's your like claim to fame, you know, you like tell people, yeah, see that elephant over there? That's my elephant. That the king is riding, I guess. I don't know what he does. What does the king do with it? Does he ride it? I, oh, into battle. Yeah. You know, all those uh, Thailand battles that they're having. Yeah, with <laughs> elephants. Of course. But like, what a singularly minded goal where it's like, hey, man, all you're doing with your life is raising an elephant. If this elephant doesn't cash in for you, you got no plan B. You better hope corn grows up to be another good elephant because you're fucked if you don't do this. Yeah, it's kind of like being a stage parent. It's like it takes up all your time. And if you're if your offspring is, is talentless, if this elephant's a dud, you're out, you know? I do know this about the person who was king of Thailand uh, when this movie came out because he, he died in 2016, that everyone in Thailand loved this dude. It was basically like, he's like so popular. It's almost like you wanted to raise an elephant here in the States and give it to like Jack Black or something like that. So that, <laughs> so maybe it wasn't just like an honor thing. It was like, oh dude, we get to meet this cool guy I want to hang out with. Do you think Jack Black would accept an elephant as a gift? I feel like he would. Yeah. An <laughs> elephant, yes. Prime ministership, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, 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 no. But getting into this introduction, I'd like to play some audio. I don't know how well this is going to translate. We might just cut it out into altogether. But let's just play some audio of the father Telling the story of elephants to young Kam. So I, you know, again, I'm not quite sure this is going to translate very well because it it is in in Thai. But I was struck by, even though I don't understand the language, the voice that was used to play the kid. And we had this also come up with Drunken Master, where there was a clip where a father was getting beaten up in the village and the son comes along and he's like, daddy, daddy, no. Very clearly uh, a grown man. Did anyone else get the sense that this was another grown man trying to save money by not hiring a child actor? Yeah, I just assumed it was like uh, Yardley Smith or whatever is the voice of Bart Simpson. Or E.G. Daly, who did the voice of Babe. Wow, (laughs) good job. Nice pull, Mac. Thank you. E.G. Daly. Speaking of this kid... At some point, the dad is telling the kid about elephants, and young Kam, the child, goes, who can hurt them? Can anybody hurt them? Like, they're so tough. Which I was like, ah, this kid's stupid. Elephants are so killable. Come on. I feel like if you grew up around them, you would have figured that out, you know? Yeah. Not that you would have tried, but like, yeah, this is not like someone who is just learning what an elephant is. Well, I don't know, because when he watches that mama elephant get fridged early on in the movie, he doesn't really seem to know what's going on. So maybe he's just dumb. So yeah, we get a montage here of this idyllic life of these people growing up around elephants. And at one point, uh, there's this really weird shot of like two elephants, like holding their trunks, kind of leaving, going off behind some trees. And the little boy's like, where are the elephants going? And the dad's like, uh, don't worry about it. And all the adults laugh because they're like, they're going to go fuck. And then, you know, there's sort of like a uh, a fade at it in the spot where those two elephants entered because elephants are very demure about where they have sex, you know? <laughs> Even though they're wild yeah. animals, they're like, well, let's get a room. Let's go in the trees somewhere. <laughs> if somebody's watching me, I can't come. They do a fade yeah. at it. And from the spot where the elephants entered, then out comes a little baby elephant. You know, sometimes different cultures, like look at R, like RRR, right? That, that movie, mega violent. However, nobody kissed on that movie. So it's kind of like, is it a cultural thing? Like we, if you show two elephants, fuck, this movie is rated triple X. I mean, maybe, but also wouldn't it be really jarring if there was just a shot of elephants fucking in this movie? I feel like that would- In the first five minutes. That would be almost minutes. strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
full on <laughs> National Geographic elephant fucking. I mean, I guess the, the thing is showing them going off is kind of like, we don't need, we know how a baby elephant is made. We don't need this prior exposition. But then when this little baby elephant comes out, apparently that was also enough time for Tony Jaa to age from eight to like 25. I guess he's supposed to be like a young man, like when an older person plays a teenager, because he's just like, I don't know, he's wearing a bandana. Does that, does that signify youth or something? But you see him and it's like, okay, he's he's been around elephants his whole life. So you'd think they'd have this like easygoing, almost natural relationship. But now the movie wants to show us like, he's like kind of clowning around with his baby elephant. David, what is he doing here? He's wrestling with the elephant. He's having a grand old time. He's laughing his head off like, <laughs> yay, corn. Now, David, you said, you said corn. Sorry. You're, you're talking about yes. a, a delicious, uh, mostly yellow, uh, a vegetable, right? No, I'm talking about a delicious, mostly yellow elephant. That's going to be the name of this baby elephant is going to be corn. Corn with a C? No, corn with a K. And yes, it is going to throw everybody off who sees it in the movie. It's like, when is yep. corn showing up? The weirdest thing about the subtitles, seeing corn with a K, is it also had the backwards R, like corn the band. That was the weirdest. That's right. Yeah. No, it they really went out of their way with that. But credit to Tony Jaa, because I do, even though he is in his 20s in this movie, I do get a sense in these early shots with with the Corn the Elephant that he's supposed to be playing maybe a 12-year-old because, like, the frolicking going on and just him having to kind of sell his enjoyment of Corn's company. Like, it must feel so ridiculous to act enthusiastically against an elephant. There are moments in this movie that feels like a Lonely Island sketch. Like, if you wanted to put Andy Samberg in the role of Tony Jaa, like, me and my elephant, like, this probably would have been a hit. I do, one thing that happens in a few of these scenes with him and the elephant that I am, like, really jealous of is when he is sitting on its tusks and the elephant is, like, carrying him. It's just like, I would give probably a year of my life to do that. Like, if you took a year, like, off of my life expectancy because I got to ride around in the, on the trunks of an elephant carrying me around next to a beautiful Thai river, I think I'd do it. I think I would. I wish I had your confidence because those things could impale you. Like, <laughs> I, I thought the same thing where it was like, man, that's living. Like, why would anyone want to ride on top of that <laughs> elephant when you could just be cradled yeah. by this elephant? But then it's like... Oh, if I if he like decides to run or something, or if he hits a bump, <laughs> I've got one through the chest, and I that would immediately terrify me. That's true. I guess that's why you can only do it if you've spent your life with them. Another Tony Jaa fact, by the way, he his family actually were like elephant guardians. Like that is that is what his family did before he was martial artist. He's from a family of like village elephant guardians, and then he like gets. Hollywood. I get why he was like, I'm going, I'm going to go be a monk. Fuck this. This is too much. I'm going back to my elephants. What a, man, talk about betting on yourself. You go into a, like a meeting with producers and you're like, I want to make a martial arts movie about a guy trying to find his elephant. Like get the <laughs> fuck out of my office. No, he made it. It's great. It's great. Uh, but yeah, no, he made it at least. <laughs> Got it done, man. But the dad cannot be more excited for his, uh, the eldest, I think male elephant. Poor is, is poor a, a dude elephant. Yeah. Poor is the male because the mom got shot. That's right. Well, he's like, mm -hmm. oh, he's going to be in the king's uh, honorary elephant posse one day. And of course, when you make future plans in an action movie, you're a fucking idiot. Their idyllic life, though, it gets disrupted because here come some poachers. They want that ivory. Yum, 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 yum. And they they shoot the mama elephant. Now, Catherine, this podcast, I'm a, I'm a wuss about a lot of things, including animal cruelty. And so if, if a dog dies in a movie, we're definitely going to give our audience a wuss warning. However... Even though my feral wife turned away from the screen when the elephant dies, the elephant dying is pretty laughable because you can tell the trainer is just like, lie down, elephant. 
because there it's just a shot of an elephant like slowly sitting down and it's like that elephant is not hurt at all it just got tired well they they do do a close-up on the elephant's wide eye and for some reason that carries some emotional weight to it but i think it's just because elephants are smart not because it's like that elephant's been murdered. <laughs> like showing its wide eye is emotional because you're like, oh man, they made this elephant act in a movie. It's under so much stress right now. That's what makes me sad. It reminds me of that. I'll have to respectfully disagree with you, Mac, on that because like the elephant acting that Corn is doing when his mama dies and like Corn is like climbing on uh, on the mom. That's pretty, I, even though I'm sure they just like hid some hay behind the mom or something like, I don't know what elephants eat hay. I'm sure there's a treat or something motivating corn to climb on top of the mom, but it was effective for me. I was surprisingly emotional at this. Corn, star on the rise. <laughs> Showing promise. Maybe I have a different perspective as a father, because when I saw corn climbing on top of the mom, I wanted to be like, corn, mom's working now. Get off. So the mama elephant dies and, you know, we just move on from that. It really sort of heightens the stakes of like, all right, poor guy, now you've really got to, you know, earn bread for the family. So Kam's father is like, say goodbye, Kam, to, to poor guy. We're taking him to the city tomorrow and he may never come back. He may be a part of the, the royal guard. So Tony Jaw, in, in deference to the elephant, he sort of bows down. And then here comes the elephant's trunk, you know, to sort of pat him on the shoulder like they're there. Very clearly not an elephant trunk. Very clearly a puppet arm. I laughed out loud. This is like, again, everything that goes into making a movie, this is just some guy. This is just some PA who has a, an elephant sleeve on his arm and is like, all right, am I doing it okay? Am I patting him all right? Or do you need it more believable? Like, I'm, I'm already five minutes into this movie. I was like, this movie's got everything. The crazy thing is the puppeteer behind that elephant arm, Jonathan Davis, lead singer of the band Corn. They flew him in special. <laughs> well, he was there. <laughs> I'll stay an extra night. I do feel like if you're making an elephant movie, you do have to have, I mean, you really have to pick your spots. Cause like, if you're thinking about how to budget a movie featuring elephants, you're probably trying to write as many scenes where it can just be a puppet trunk as possible. Right. So like, I feel like that's the first draft of the movie is like, we got to take some of these out because they're going to know why you did this. I was hoping they had included that in the back of the box because they're going out of their way to say like, Oh, this doesn't have stunt doubles. This doesn't have yeah. life. <laughs> this doesn't have CGI. There's some animal puppetry. It was like, that's all I need sold. Yes. Two copies, please. I mean, given some of the things that happened to these elephants, I hope that they had some kind of stunt double or like prop thing happening. Uh, one of them gets windmilled <laughs> into a corner at one point. Uh, hopefully that didn't happen to a real elephant. The county fair elephant toss that happens to that elephant in the third act. I cannot wait to talk about it. It is insanity. But Kam and his father take their prize elephant, Poor Yai, and baby elephant corn to the Songkran Water Festival, where Poor Yai will be inspected for acceptance into the royal fleet. But Poor Yai and corn are instead abducted by poachers, and Kam's father is shot and killed. Kam goes on a mission to raid the poacher's house and find out where they took his elephants and kick some henchmen ass. It's an action set piece we'll call Parties Over. Kam learns the elephants have been taken to Sydney by the slick mid-level gangster Johnny, played by Johnny Tridwen. Com gives the poachers one last farewell beatdown, and after an unnecessary boat chase, it's off to Sydney. So when they get to this water festival, you know, these merchants are, you know, they're selling all kinds of stuff. And uh, at some moment, this guy says to Com, he's like, hey, you want a, a necklace with a bell on it for your elephant? Tony Jaw's like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then hangs this bell around the neck of uh, corn. 
thus turning Corn's life, I imagine, into a living hell, right? <laughs> Every move that you make is a ding, ding, ding of a bell. Oh, poach me now. Poach me. Well, it's also like, are you, are you afraid you're going to lose your elephant? Which I guess he does. He does. But like, oh no, where did Corn go? I'll just listen for the bell. But this did this did actually validate something for me because the movie starts, you know, we see young Calm before he turns into Tony Jaa. There's a moment where he rides an elephant to school and I was just like, what a dick. Like, no one else is riding an <laughs> elephant to school. So, like, what percentage of this community owns elephants? So, like, to see the, the water festival and to see that they have an entire economy set up for ele- elephant accessories, that made me feel better about just like, okay, elephants are like a cottage industry in Thailand, I'm assuming. Enough people have them that there's, yeah, a secondary market for, uh, for elephant accessories. But yeah, that is like a little bit of an unnecessary flex to ride your elephant to school. Because like, you can at least set up a carpool with that. Like, there's room up there. You you don't have to just come by yourself unless you're really trying to make a statement. You could be the coolest kid in school. Like, yeah, you should have had eight kids on that elephant. Like, That could be the bus. You don't need to just ride one of those guys. Imagine a kid taking a bus by himself to school. That would be the biggest. Oh, my God. What a kid. If I was that kid, 100% still sitting in the back. Oh, yeah. That's the best place to sit. <laughs> yeah. But this water festival, let's talk about this a little bit. It's got everything. It's got merchants. It's got something I never thought I'd see at a water festival. It's got blind boxing where two combatants <laughs> are in this ring covered with a floor of bamboo that can't feel good for anybody. Look, I went to college. I, I went to my fair share of fraternity parties. Never once did I see blind boxing. I feel like I was robbed of a crucial life moment seeing like two dudes just drunkenly go at it while they're blindfolded. I how Fraternities, get on this, please. Blind boxing. That's interesting you say that because I felt robbed by the fact that we are introduced to the premise of blind boxing in this movie and then barely see any of it. I was hoping, this is a, this is an action movie. I was hoping for a full blind boxing fight scene and uh, that is not what we got and I'm, I'm very disappointed. Or at the very least, a blind boxing sidekick where like Kam meets yeah. somebody and he's like, I'll help. Just one second, like ties a, a blindfold around. He's like, this is the only way I could fight. He, The blind boxer should have come back in the style battle that happens later. Mm. That would have been a sick opponent. Yeah. But much like a, uh, a farmer with his prized pig showing off for the county fair, the dad takes his prize elephant, poor guy, over to some dudes. And the dudes are like, wow, what an elephant. Great A. What an amazing elephant. Thank you. Please give it to us. And now we'll take it to the king. You're, you're, you're done. You're welcome. And the dad is like, hold on. The vibes are off here. <laughs> you were really sweaty and shifty and evil looking. Uh, hey, maybe don't. Actually, don't take my elephant. And that fast, they fucking shoot him. These poachers. <laughs> first of all, they're not fucking around. Two, there's no like, oh, hey, we're at a giant outdoor festival or fair. Maybe let's don't commit uh, a, a murder with so many witnesses around. But they don't give a shit. No, and the other people there also kind of don't give a shit. Like, they start giving a shit later, but that's because there is a chase scene involving elephants. So it's like, yeah, we got to get out of the fucking way. I feel like people are very cavalier about what's going on over here. Okay, so am I dumb? Did Com's dad sense that they were poachers or that something was off? Because when I'm watching this movie, and again, keep in mind, 25 minutes have been cut out of this, so maybe some crucial storytelling elements have been cut out. But, like, I got the sense that Com's father just had a change of heart. 
where he's like, no, you can't take away my elephant. This is my elephant. And like, I, I don't really know what's going on. Yeah, it was confusing. It was like, he seemed to be upset that they were taking it right then. Like he thought they were going to come later or something. And then he maybe realized that, as Max said, the vibes are off. But I was I was also confused by this. Well, there's one guy who was like, what a great elephant. I totally know what I'm doing. Uh, okay, hey, other dudes, take this elephant. And these other dudes were just like, oh, this elephant, I've never been around one before. They just seem like you guys are not elephant takers, you're elephant snatchers. And when the dad's like, wait a second, they popped him. So then we get like, poor Yai like takes off. It's quickly becoming a new favorite segment on the show, right? Everyone's talking about it. They love it. It's like, it's my new favorite part of Punch Mountain. Of course, that segment is called, what was the plan here? What happens (laughs) is this elephant, it kind of goes on like a little mini rampage and like bad guys are chasing him. The elephant's chasing the bad guys. Calm and Corn the baby elephant. They're trying to track down everyone. Corn and um, poor Yai, at some point, they run into the back of like a, a shipping container, right? And then as soon as they run the back of a shipping container, they close the shipping container. It's like disguised, kind of like in Indiana Jones' Last Crusade, and then drives away. Almost as if that's where the bad guys were leading the elephant? I think those trucks are just set up for general abduction. Ladies, <laughs> yeah, kids. Whatever wanders in. Exactly. And they're just like, an elephant? Wait till the guys at work hear this. Wow, that's fucking grim. That is. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just like all-purpose trafficking traps? Yeah, that's right. Yikes. It is like, it's weird too, because it's like the back of a store or something. It's like half of a store is in this... They like run through a place that looks like they're selling clothes or something. And then surprise, the back of it is a storage container. So I'd I'd imagine like maybe that's supposed to be the dressing room or something. And then they send you back there and then they close the door and drive away. They're used to stealing ladies. This this is actually the prequel to season two of The Wire. This is how they, uh, the Sabakas end up with all those uh, cargo sh- containers. I was about to say, full of ladies. where's Jim Caviezel when you need him? Let's hear some of that sound of freedom. Uh, so these bad guys, they get both elephants. They did it. But Calm, he's going to get to the bottom of this. So we we see the bad guys, and then we cut to like the bad guys' hideout where they're having like, hey, kind of like a big swinging party. Some ladies are there, some drinks. There's a drum set. <laughs> There's a drum kit set up. I don't know if anyone <laughs> ever plays it, but it's definitely there. <laughs> I, you know what's weird? I didn't register that as odd until you said it, but there totally is just a drum set. Very strange. I guess that does connotate party time. Yeah, even it's if a no moment. Playing somebody's it. gonna get on those drums. Boo, That's right, immigrant song. <laughs> there's there's so many little things in this movie where I just kind of dismiss it as, oh, I'm sure the uncut version explains that. I'm sure there's like <laughs> a big like what is it in Return of the Jedi the that like size noodles in his band or whatever they're mm-hmm. playing for. There's Dom, a musical Jamba number Hutt. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure this. Actually, I think the Wikipedia said there were musical elements to this movie that they cut out, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's tough because there are a lot of like, this edit does not make sense. And you have to feel like, it does make you wonder in the original version with the 25 minutes back in, are those 25 minutes of characters going like, we got to get out of here or I'll go here now. (laughs) (laughs) We should end up at this house really quickly. Like... I again having to read the Wikipedia, I had to learn the relationship between Com and this poacher. Like, I guess they're cousins or something like that. I guess Com in this in this version of the movie is like, I know exactly where to go. And he goes there. Yeah, there's a lot of people sort of divining where they need to be and then uh, seemingly just uh, apparitioning there. Just they they materialize, they spawn in the place where they're supposed to be. But the vibes of this party are pretty right. I feel like we're about 20 minutes away from people taking off their clothes. 
But suddenly a bad dude's body, like a henchman's body, just launches into frame. Not only into frame, but like <laughs> gets thrown off a wall. It's a real shame because if, if 20 more minutes had gone by, we would see some people going off into a secluded clearing and then a child coming out. <laughs> but Tony Jaa had to get to the bottom of things, ruin a good time for everyone. But you see this body like launch in. You're like, well, wait, who? Where did this body come from? And we very quickly get our answer. It's going to be calm. He's a human cannonball. It's really like if you can visualize, you know, when you've watched soccer matches on TV and someone scores a goal and so they like slide on their knees in triumph. Imagine someone doing that with no ground beneath them. It is just Tony Jaa being catapulted onto the screen, knees first. He flies into somebody. This is going to be my first mark out moment. This is going to be Tony Jaa's introduction to the movie as an ass kicker, as someone who has been trained to be a protector. He knows Muay Thai. This is, I'm going to show you how I do it. Just the the quickness with which he appears on screen and just the immediate carnage he starts, I did mark out. Yeah, he wrecks shop. Like he just gets right down to business. It's uh, it's very exciting. He, I get why he had the hype behind him, even though his two sort of vehicles that brought him to international attention, neither one of them are that amazing. He's fucking really cool. He's still really cool. Even after 20 years of people kind of aping this style in these movies, I still I still love it. I still think it's great. Yeah, same. I uh, It is great. And I also marked out because, yeah, he enters the frame 10 feet in the air already. And I don't know a lot about Muay Thai <laughs> uh, boxing. And I know that they, like I was reading about his fighting styles and the the third style that he is an expert in is his own style. Uh, but I, I know that it involves a lot of like knee and elbow strikes. But yeah, him launching into frame, knees first like that. Yeah, it was an awesome introduction uh, for the, the the hero of this movie. And so, yeah, he gets to the party and guess what? He kicks everyone's ass. It's not, not really in question of what was going to happen. And then some dude squeals. He's like, oh, they took the elephants to Sydney, right? Is that what he says? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. He's like, where are they? And it's like, uh, uh, Johnny took them. <laughs> Johnny loaded elephants onto a boat and they're in Sydney now. But I will make one quick aside here because watching this movie the first time, I had no idea that there was an uncut version versus an 83 minute version. So I have in my notes here, cut to guy on toilet because there's a real quick shot. There's a real quick cutaway of a guy on the phone on the toilet. He's doing his business and he's doing his business. And he like, here's the, the ruckus going on outside. He's like, what's going on? And then we never see that guy again. Like that really <laughs> confused me in the moment. He represents the viewer. <laughs> Fair enough. He was confused. I will say like, people got to do it. But uh, I can't imagine a more annoying thing to be tasked with smuggling than elephant. Live, whole elephant. That just seems like a nightmare. I mean, that's why people take their tusks, right? You just take their tusks, leave the rest of it. They're like, no, we're going. It's worth it to bring this entire fucking thing over to Australia, where presumably the elephant market demand is very high. Thank God they found corn in one piece when they finally found him. Like, <laughs> poor guy. Poor guy. He was done. Like, there's no way you're not getting him chopped up before you get on that boat. But like, corn, he made it. You're listening to the Poach Pod <laughs> with Cat <laughs> Barbarian. Oh, she'll give you the hottest poach tips. So Com goes in there and like wastes everybody with no effort, right? Yeah. If he's like, fine, I'm going to go to Sydney. You think all these bad guys will be like, woof, I'm glad he's gone. Bust out the cocaine. Let's get this party going again. But then for some reason we cut to him escaping in a boat. And then this like, you know, when these go fast, like uh, wacky boats are involved in like Red Bull sponsored races or something. 
And then the bad guys are like, we'll chase you on some other boats. Why do you want to catch him? That is a really good question. Let him go. Some of the stunts in this movie are too real. And this scene has a lot of them as well. At some moment, these boats, they like, there's some houses along the river. And these boats just take out the houses. There's no way they're like, let's build a house and then we'll destroy it. I guarantee you the production was like, hey, how much for your house? Thanks. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That is, yeah, this is not a stunt river that they yeah. built. For this. <laughs> oh, stunt river. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, they also presented in a realistic fashion. Because like you said, you know, one of those cigarette boats comes up, you know, the ramp of the house. And like just parks the the boat right in front of this guy making dinner, like chopping up vegetables. <laughs> like, what are you doing in my home? That's not supposed to happen. Those boats are really cool, though. I am a big fan of those little boats. Yeah, I mean, look, they're undeniable. Like if I saw one of those boats and <laughs> in real life, I'd be like, hell yeah, go fast boats. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is an action set piece, but you could also edit this out of the movie and you'd miss nothing. Yeah. There's also a helicopter. I guess the bad guys were like, hey, uh... Well, I mean, he's an Asian character in an American version of this movie. So his name is probably like uh, Ricky Tan or uh, <laughs> Johnny Ng or something like that. They're like, hey, Tommy, are you in your helicopter right right now? Good. Uh, go after this GoFast boat. But anyway, Com escapes and then we cut to Sydney, Australia. That's right, Matt. Com isn't in Sydney long before he's mixed up in some trouble, getting into a stolen cab that is being pursued by local police. The taxi thief is caught by local cops Mark and Rick, played by Petai Vonkumlau and David Asavanad, respectively. But then the thief is shot to death by the presumably evil Detective Vincent, played by Damien de Montemas. Com is arrested but quickly escapes to pursue Johnny and his gang. He tracks the gang to a shuttered warehouse that I'm pretty sure was a level in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Com breaks up their drug deal and Johnny summons a squadron of extreme sports criminals to fight Com. It's time for an action set piece called Tony Just Stunt Spectacular. We also meet the ambitious criminal Madame Rose, played by Jing Jin, who runs the local Thai restaurant as a front for the sale and exploitation of exotic animals and also kidnapped women. I will say, since now that we've introduced the uh, the Thai restaurant element of this movie, for which the Thai version of this movie is named Tom Young Goon, it's very funny to me that the Thai version of this movie is named one of the only Thai phrases that Americans actually would no, and they still changed it. There, there are probably like three Thai phrases I know, and that is one of them. And they were like, "Nope, still too, still too confusing for Americans. We're not, we're not going with that." But then I also know them as restaurants, so like, <laughs> it's kind of one of those like PizzaGate things where I'm like, "Are all Thai restaurants named Tom Young Goon fronts for trafficking?" Look, I don't want to <laughs> cast aspersions or that, but uh, let's just say maybe. Do you know about the Thai government restaurant program? This is probably no. an aside, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, no. Tony Jaw didn't... Uh, <laughs> did, this doesn't involve an elephant? Maybe you'll we'll, <laughs> cut it out. I think it's interesting. No, please, tell us. The reason there are so many Thai restaurants in America... So there are really only about as many Thai people in the U.S. as there are like Ethiopian people in the U.S. There are way, way, way more Thai restaurants than there are Ethiopian restaurants. And part of the reason for that is because I believe in the 80s and 90s, the Thai government had a program where you could basically go through like restaurant training, like culinary training and business training to open a restaurant and then buy a restaurant plan from the Thai government and then they would help you sponsor your visa to get to the US. And there were like three different sort of like models of Thai restaurant that you could 
these like business plans that you could basically franchise from the Thai government. And all over the world, people open these, but they got really popular in America. And that's why we all like Thai food. The end. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, you know, that soft power cultural diplomacy shit, which is the the protector undid years of that with this movie, (laughs) making a Thai restaurant, uh, you know, a criminal enterprise. But so Kam shows up at the airport. He lands in Sydney. So I'm watching this movie. He bumps into someone and was like, is that supposed to be someone who looks like Jackie Chan? And sure enough, according to Wikipedia, it is a Jackie Chan impersonator. Like, can't you get sued for that? Wait, that wasn't actually like, Jackie Chan? <laughs> no, it wasn't. So that explains why his hair did not look at all like Jackie Chan's hair I've ever seen. <laughs> but I also saw that and I go, is that Jackie Chan? And then the internet said, yeah, Jackie Chan cameo. I guess I guess my internet, I need to pay the extra five bucks to get the one that tells the truth. But that explains it because... It's such a weird shot. It's like not a close up at all. It's very, very wide. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like Jackie Chan passing the torch to Tony Ja. But wow, the fact that it's a Jackie Chan impersonator, uh, that's that that tracks. Yeah. It also like I, I feel I feel this way about wigs a lot in media where it's like, okay, is the character wearing a wig or is the actor wearing a wig it's like is this supposed to be jackie chan in this in the protector universe or is this a guy who looks like jackie chan like what's happening here what what are are we supposed to take from this besides that that guy kind of looks like jackie chan so com gets in a taxi and the taxi driver's like hey where you from hey hey, hey." and then we cut to some cop cars the cops are like hey we uh we've we got some details on that stolen taxi which let's talk about this for a second Again, and we're going back to the America's favorite segment on this show, which is, I already forgot the fucking name. What is it? What's, What's the, the plan, plan here? here? Because the guy who stole the taxi is now just pretending to be a taxi driver and picking up fares? What? He's an honest criminal. He just couldn't get a medallion and uh, he wants to work, you know? Yeah, he didn't pass the knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so, he, <laughs> so he just wanted to like, my dream was always to be a cab driver. This, today's the day and like, See, because that's the other thing, too. Did he steal the cab at the airport where he knows cabs are going to be? Or did he steal this somewhere else? He's like, I got to keep these routes. I know. I'll blend in here with the other cabs. They won't know which one is stolen. Oh, shit. Someone's in my cab. I guess I got to <laughs> play this out. Yeah. Very baffling decision. It's also, again, a thing that you could. I mean, I guess because it introduces him to the cops. So you need that for the plot. But like. None of this had to happen. Why is it happening? No, it, it does. It makes Sydney look like crime city or something like that. Uh, but the police corner the stolen cab and the cabbie gets out and he's like, I'll shoot him. I'll shoot calm. You, yeah, I'm going to blow this guy's head off. Officer Sergeant Mark himself, a native of Thailand. He's like, hey, let's all calm down. But then bang, this fake taxi driver gets shot by this very sinister looking cop, Detective Vincent. And then they're like, okay, well, Calm here was clearly the victim, right? Because he's being held at gunpoint by evil cab driver. And he's like, no, arrest him too. He's in on it somehow. I don't give a shit about anything. Yeah, very evil detective. Kind of looks like Bradley Cooper. Kind of looks like Andrew Garfield. And it's that uncertainty that makes him just even more evil. It's like, who are you? He has like the lion's mane hair where it's like, you're rogue somehow. You're not, this is not to regulation. Neither is the shooting. You know, when he shoots the, the cab driver, me and the bomb show were just like, does that happen here? This isn't taking place in America. Like, something's off about this guy. And sure enough, he is an evil cop. That's how you know. And Sergeant Mark is like, you know, he shows a little bit of compassion towards Com because, you know, they're both from Thailand. However, they drive past this Thai restaurant 
and Com sees Johnny and he freaks the fuck out and he manages to escape. And what they've done is they've zip tied his hands together. And so when Com escapes, he goes up to the edge of the building and then rip, 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 like rubs the zip ties against the edge of the building and he opens them like they're nothing. Did you guys know the zip ties are pieces of shit? <laughs> I, I figured like Sydney zip ties are pieces of shit. I mean, it's really just performative anyway in Australia that it's like, look, we don't even have a jail. It's just, it's a front. Like it's like in Blazing Saddles where they just put up like a bunch of sets. Like we have no plan to prosecute you. We have no plan to like book you. Just go home. Well, it's it's because they shoot all their criminals, so they don't they they don't like plan that far ahead. Because usually they just apparently shoot them as soon as they see them doing something wrong. So this was they had to improvise, you know. Real shoot first part of the world is is what this movie is telling us. It does not make Sydney look great. I will say that. No. Then we cut to like a, a criminal boardroom, and we meet the the evil puppet master of this movie. Eh? a gang member, a member of organized crime named Madam Rose, and she's like, wants to climb the organization. And so she's like talking up like, oh, here's how you should give me the security contracts. And she's feeding the soup to everyone. And she's like going on about how the soup is good. And then this uh, other gangster like tastes the soup. He's like, this soup sucks. I can't trust you with security contracts. Like just, you manage the restaurant, know your place. And I came across in Wikipedia, and this is another thing they changed for the American version. It says, Madam Rose loses face has denied a security contract over bad turtle soup. This is in the U.S. version. Instead of the Chinese business leader's refusal to deal because of bad terms. So for some reason, in like the normal version, uh, she was like, hey, here are some good terms. He's like, I don't like it. No. The American version was like, why? Were they like, no, this is not wacky enough. Have him hate the turtle soup. What the fuck are we doing here? Have him hate the turtle soup and decide... Not that because her food is bad, she shouldn't manage the restaurant, but that she should only manage the restaurant and serve bad turtle soup to everyone, apparently. I am, after, this, after this recording, I am buying the Blu-ray because hopefully there's a special feature of just like a documentary of being in the editing bay. Just like, why does she get to keep the restaurant? She just made <laughs> terrible soup. What the fuck are we doing here? But Com tracks Johnny and his gang to a bridge. Here at this bridge, we meet Pia. I guess Johnny's like girlfriend. Is that? Did you get the idea that they're dating? Yeah, I I think so. I did not. I got I got the sense that Johnny was like there is time for love and tried to pick up the sex worker. I did not get the sense that they had any sort of prior relationship. Oh, okay. I think they knew each other because here's the thing I know about Johnny. He's a bad boy. You can tell by the the way he dresses. He's a bad boy. His, his pants are kind of sparkly. He's wearing like <laughs> it, it looks like he made his t-shirt himself. I don't know what it <laughs> says. I I think it says something like too fast to die young or too old to die young or something like that. Yeah. But the letters look like he ironed it on himself. I don't know if that's just a quality t-shirt casting an illusion over my dumb American eyes, or if he indeed is just a, a bad boy with crafts as well as with, with kicks. He loves ironing on patches. He's just like, I'm going to make my own shirt. No one else is going to own this. It's one of a kind. Yeah. So I'm very easy for my victims to describe later. But Johnny gives like a, a pretty good kick to, to calm. He shows off a little bit and he's like, peace out. And then Com starts like fighting off these thugs. One of the thugs is like, I got to get out of here and jumps off of a bridge to escape Com. Why? I don't know. I would. Are you kidding me? I don't want to fight Com. But you haven't really seen what Com does. It really is just like, oh no, a fight is breaking out and I'm out of here. I just feel like Com is like, he's dressed very um like country. I feel like, yeah. like he looks, he has like a little bandana around his neck. He looks like a, like a bumpkin. And I just feel like, you see one of those guys in the city, you don't you don't know what they're capable of. I feel like it's he's a man from another place and he's getting down to business. 
I'm jumping off that bridge. I get that. I'm getting out of there. But when he jumps off the bridge, this thug lands on top of a truck. In the truck is another bad guy? Like, did they time this? Was he like, well, I know at 3.30 p.m. in 35 seconds, my bro always drives under this bridge. And then the bad guy who comes out of the truck, he's like reaching for a weapon. But Calm is like, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a little intimidation here. He jumps in the air and manages uh, with a kick to uh, kick the light off of a street light, like a street lamp. It's bulb. He shatters it with a kick, which, by the way, this had to be like the lowest street lamp in the city. (laughs) Like, oh, for some reason we (laughs) fucked up. The street lamp is only seven feet tall. Still an insanely impressive kick. But here's the thing, y'all, is sometimes we say the movies feel like video games because of the way that like, you know, enemies fight, right? Like if you're fighting in like a beat-em-up game, like Final Fight or something like that, like your enemies are going to come like two at a time, three at a time. If there's a million, a hundred of them, they're not all going to rush you at once, right? Because it's a video game. But the way enemies seem to come out of nowhere consistently and it seems to be normal, that's what feels like a video game to me. Like if, if you were in a beat-em-up video game and you're fighting in a subway, a subway car comes, the doors open, you bet your ass more bad guys are going to like pour out of it. Of course. It, it's like at any moment, any of these like NPCs in the background could like turn around and they could be like, you know, some thugs you got to like uh, kick them twice until their power meter disappears. I don't know, Mac. That's spoken like a man who doesn't have enemies, you know? If you got haters out there... This is the life you're living if you got haters out there. This is just what it's like. Well, I'm telling you, this is also starting to click in a place where, like, Australia is just crime nation. Because we're about a few minutes away. There's there's an action set piece coming up where it's Tony Jaw versus Johnny's gang. And Johnny's gang gets dispatched pretty quickly. So he just pulls this, like, Flintstones quitting time horn. And then here comes some other extreme sports guys. Like, I really think... Maybe 80% of Australia is made up of criminals and thugs. Well, historically, I mean, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's some precedent for that. Look, Kath knows her history. And one of the things that if, if, David, if you knew your history, you knew that Australia has a long history of pulling steam whistles to summon <laughs> the other members of your gang. But yes, the, the dude who gets intimidated by the breaking of the street lamp, he leads Calm right to this like drug deal that Johnny is pulling. And so when Calm shows up, the guy who's making the drug deal with Johnny is like, whoa, this is fun. I'm fucking out of here. But when Calm first arrives at the scene, he beats up some dudes, and including one guy who he kicks in the head. It's like a slow motion shot. And this dude who gets kicked in the head, he really gets kicked in the head. It's footage of someone receiving a severe concussion. Yeah. Just, there's yeah. no two ways about it. it. No, and Kath, I'm with you because your earlier point, like, I don't enjoy watching real people get hurt. Like the point of me watching these stunts is like, I can't believe they did that. It's not, I can't believe they took that, right? But for some reason, seeing this dude really get kicked in the head, I went, ooh, like that. And my fair wife was like, whoa, whoa, what? And I rewound it. And then when we saw it again, I went, ooh, a second time. This is my second markout moment. I don't want this guy to actually get kicked in the head. It was still fucking awesome. <laughs> I can't, I gotta admit it. I see, I I know exactly what you're feeling because I. this is exactly how I feel watching pro wrestling mm-hmm. and it's exactly how I feel when someone in pro wrestling obviously gets a concussion. It's like, I never want it to happen. I hate it. I, I don't want it to ever be like planned to happen that way. But when it happens, it looks crazy. It looks so nuts and uh, it is very exciting. So Good luck to that guy, I guess. I can't imagine he was well compensated for the brain damage he now undoubtedly has, but you gave your life for a, for a very delightful markout moment. I agree. No, it really does add that layer of realism where it's like, 
you're enjoying the movie. Everybody's having fun. You see that kick to the head and you're like, okay, guys, be careful. Like, please, please don't let that happen again. I've talked about this before where it's like, I never want to see like the edit of the movie where they forgot to take out uh, a brutal, you know, killing or maiming or anything like that. But right. man, this kick, this was, this is how you know, this is how you know it's a real movie. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, oh my God, that's terrible. And then you look up your arm and you're like waiting to high five someone. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. But Johnny, he's like, I don't have the energy to fuck with this. He pulls a steam whistle. The Lost Boys stunt team comes in. They're all in different like extreme sports. Like some guys are like on rollerblades. Other dudes are driving four wheelers. Uh, David, is this like the best gear to get into a, a Bronco with? No, not at all. Uh, you know, credit to them. Like they, they dance with the one who brung them. If they got here in rollerblades or if they got here on a bike, they're using those to their advantage, but not really. Like I, I kind of wish there was a moment where Tony Jaws chasing one of them and like they can't really get a good run going because they're in skates. But I will tell you this though, you know, for all of the uh, curious decisions that these fighters as performers in this movie are making, Good choreography. Oh, like yeah. really good. You know, it ramps up, you know, you're not just dodging people. You're not just dodging kicks and punches. You're dodging a bicycle. You're dodging someone who's coming at you with a full head of steam on, on rollerblades. Even though this isn't the best action set piece in the movie, there is something very actiony about it. It's very exciting. It's very, very exhilarating. It also does emphasize a point that I'm going to make throughout this episode and a point we've already made. We're like, I'm really glad that people don't get killed in this movie. Like it really is just like, Line up for your ass kicking. Your ass has been kicked. Move on to the next person. Like, it's it's a much more enjoyable movie-going experience than watching someone's head get blown off. Yeah, I like this, too, because, like, it's so silly. And I think this is what I mean about it being so campy is, like, they do, as you said at the beginning, David, like, they really raise the stakes sequel style from, like, a normal, <laughs> like, a plausible martial arts movie to be like no well, what if he's fighting a guy on a four-wheeler it's like well that makes absolutely no sense but sure <laughs> and a lot of these like a lot of the hong kong action movies in this one too i i find it very satisfying when the good guy is able to use the bad guy's momentum against them that's like such a fun sort of ploy and like what better to do that with than someone moving very fast because they're on a bike or skates or an atv it's like the dodge, but then also like sort of throwing them as you die. It's it's great. I just, I love it. it. It delights me every time. I'm like, that's so smart. Why didn't they think of that? Like, it's great. I love it. And a lot of these bad guys, it seems like they're equipped with white like staves, right? Like some, you know, batons or sticks they're beating people with, or they're trying to beat up calm with. But no, those aren't like wooden sticks painted white. Those are fluorescent light bulbs that they're smashing Hell over yeah. calm, which probably don't do too much actual damage, but does... You know, it's kind of like, oh, fuck, like it's crazy to see, which, which again brings to mind like the like a Jackie Chan comparison here in that with Jackie Chan and his stunts, like especially if you stick around after his movies, at least the American ones, you get um, you get some clips of like bloopers, right, of his stunt team. Like, you know, he's like doing uh, some crazy flip off a ladder and the ladder closes and people who are supposedly fighting with immediately run up to Jackie Chan being like, are you OK? The Jackie Chan movies, again, it's like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he was able to successfully pull off that stunt. Whereas in this movie, there's some definite things where like, no, pulling off the stunt means somebody gets hurt. Like at some moment, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's a guy on a bike or a four wheeler. He like runs, uh, he's driving a calm. Tony Jaw does like an insane flip in the air. And then while he's in the air, he grabs onto the head and neck of this guy and they cut away. I assume because the first guy died. It's just, it's like, there's no way you do that. <laughs> and you don't at least like, you know, you bruise your spine or something. 
it is crazy. It's like, boy, these guys are taking a lot of damage, and I don't necessarily think that's cool. However, in my mind, the marquee stunt of this movie, Tony Jaa is like running uh, away from a, a four-wheeler, and he's running right towards like a, what we assume is a plexiglass wall. And he, the audio cuts out here and Tony Jaa like runs up the wall and does a little flip. We only hear the squeak of the shoes. And then he does a backflip off the wall. And then while he's in air, seconds after his foot has now no longer touching the glass, a four-wheeler like shatters the glass. It's such a cool fucking shot. There's no motion tied to it at all. Because does Johnny even know what Com wants at this moment? I don't, well, no. yes. Yes, oh. because when he's on the bridge talking to the Thai woman, she says he's asking about his elephants. Okay. So he at least knows that much. So, yeah. yeah. But I agree that the stunt is so cool. I feel like with the light tubes and stuff, I was also thinking, uh, we were talking about like how these stunts sort of mean, necessarily mean that someone is in pain. <laughs> like something, yeah. even if they go, if they go right, someone is hurt. I think about, uh, I, I like deathmatch wrestling, which is the kind of wrestling where you use light tubes and razor blades and barbed wire and sure. stuff. But I don't like watching it live because I need to know everybody made it out okay and then I will watch it. Like, if someone's like, oh, there was a really good deathmatch on this show, you should check it out. I'll watch it because I know both of those people are still walking the earth and it's fine. And I feel like that about this movie. It's like, well, they didn't tell me anyone died making this, so... I'm, I choose to only enjoy it and not be too not be too concerned. But uh, also, I don't read Thai, so maybe maybe news came out that I am not aware of. Who knows? But that that stunt was another markout moment for me. And then again, I have really a, just a hardcore what the fuck edit here as we cut to Tony Jaa, aka Com, uh, doing this amazing flip, and then we cut to an alley. Hard cut to this alley. He is tuckered out. <laughs> so Mac, after Com's fight with Johnny's Mountain Dew gang, he is found unconscious in the alley by sex worker and fellow Thai national Pia, played by Bonko Kongmalai. Pia takes Com back to her apartment to recover. Officers Mark and Rick, meanwhile, are reassigned to act as security detail for the police commissioner's upcoming meeting with businessman Mr. Sim. But Mark can't shake the feeling that Com is innocent despite still being wanted by police. Mark and Rick's security assignment does not go well when the commissioner and Mr. Sim are both murdered. Mark is framed to take the fall, and exotic mud dancer Pia, a witness to the whole thing. Okay, so Calm is taken from the alley by Pia. She takes him to back to her place. She's like, okay, you can rest up. You can recover on my couch. And then we get one of the most inexplicable dream sequences I've ever seen. It is all CGI. This is where all of the laundered money went into the movie's production. It's like a commercial for the general but also 300. I have no idea why this is happening. I It is something else. I guess in 2003, this wouldn't happen. But if if in 2003, a 14-year-old boy ha could have a Chromebook, this would be the screensaver on it. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'd be, a, it'd be it's, sick It's really beautiful. Well, in our John Wick episode, we were talking about how that movie kind of gets boiled down to like the dog revenge film. Like, oh, just because they killed his dog. But it's like, no, it's not the dog. It's, I mean, yes, in my estimation, if, if someone killed my dog, that would give me full license to murder a thousand people. However, the dog is not just, you know, a, a cute pet. It was the last remaining trace to this life that John Wick wanted to have. And that's what this elephant should represent, right? Because his dad was fucking murdered. This is his entire like way of life. He grew up with these elephants now his entire life is like shattered. And so like this should be the emotional core of Com's character, but they never talk about it. The closest we come is this CGI sequence 
you know, he's like, you know, we come from a long line of like elephant protectors. We were the warriors that would help protect the elephants in battle because even though elephants are strong from underneath, they're pretty killable. Him having his like weird Polar Express dream sequence to like, you know, it's like, oh, my ancestors, uh, you know, fighting to defend these elephants. I guess it, we're supposed to be like, oh, this is who he is. He is the protector at his core. And that's why he needs to get this elephant back because, it, you know, culturally, intrinsically, he must protect. This is going to be the hardest movie to do punch-ups on because I feel like a lot of the things we're going to suggest live in those 25 minutes that we didn't get to watch. We're like, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, they should have done something to set the stakes for calm, where he's like, you're not ready to be a protector. All you do is, you know, you spent your childhood like riding these elephants when you should have been learning your Muay Thai, when you should have been learning how to protect them. We don't trust you. And so this is him like having dreams of his ancestors, like wanting to live up to them. That probably does exist, but the fact that it doesn't in this version, oh, Mama Sita, what is this movie doing? The thing that's even weirder about all of this is that actually in the Thai version, according to the Wikipedia page, his dad doesn't even die. His dad just gets shot. <laughs> so it really is just about the elephant. The elephant mm. does not represent anything. It is truly, <laughs> he just really likes this elephant and he's pissed off and he wants to knee some people in the neck. You just get a sense that the directors and producers of this movie did not trust Tony Jaa to act. Like, I don't understand, like, you know, if you have a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie and you're like, okay, let's just have another character be like, oh, you know his story. Like, you know, talk about Jean-Claude's emotions for him. But Tony Jaa seems like he's doing an okay job emoting. He doesn't seem wooden. Maybe he is. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell in another language. Well, one of the things I do like about this movie is that he does openly weep several times in a way that you don't yes. often see the protagonist of a of an action film do. And like, it's not necessarily the most convincing weeping I've ever seen, but it's not bad. It's definitely above Jean-Claude Van Damme par. So like, there was no need. They, they could have trusted him a little bit more. Look, we all have like very specific dreams. Like, you know, like, oh my goodness, it'd be great to one day like write a movie or something like that. But then I think we all have like mid-level dreams, things where it's like, oh, I'm going to put no effort towards this. But man, if that happened, wouldn't that sure. be crazy? Like a mid-level dream of mine is uh, I want to be a, a beer salesman at a baseball game just once. You know what I mean? I think I do For a sure. really good Perfect job example, yeah. calling out the beer. Now, do I want to put any effort towards this or, or sacrifice anything to get it? Oh, absolutely not. But man, it'd be cool if it happened. One of my mid-level dreams is to be uh, an English-speaking actor in a an international production because they're so terrible. <laughs> like, uh, and the guy who <laughs> plays the Australian police captain, like Sergeant Mark's boss in this thing, he's just the fucking worst. But I see that I'm like, God, I wish that was me. That looks like so much fun to deliver this like weird, you know, translated from Thai dialogue that they gave this dude. Uh, just that actually reminds me one thing we haven't addressed about this movie that really adds to the sort of chaos of the editing is the mix of dubbing subtitles and people speaking English that is inscrutable. Like, it's just, I feel like, it feels like being on drugs, kind of. Like, I know it's a cliche comparison, but it's like, I know I'm receiving this information, but the way I'm receiving it is through so many different, like, layers of mediation that it is incredibly confusing. And I think the reason they did it, I think, generally speaking, the rule seems to be Tony Jaa is not dubbed. He will speak Thai and he will be subtitled. But when anyone else is speaking Thai, unless they're speaking to Kam, they are dubbed. So several characters have like two voices. <laughs> like it's really, 
it's a lot. It really adds to the uh, mismatch that is the parts of this movie that are not Tony Job kicking ass. You're absolutely right. This We actually should have put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode letting people know this is a hard movie to get comfortable with. Because, yeah. you know, it starts off and you're like, oh, you know what? I should probably get subtitles. So you put the subtitle option on and then the streaming service subtitles play over the actual movie subtitles. And you're like, no, 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 I don't want this. But then you're going to need subtitles again in five minutes. Yeah, this is a tough one to settle in. Yeah, I had to turn the subtitles for the English dialogue because it seemed like whoever mixing it was not did not give a shit about it. Because in their mind, they're like, oh, this will be <laughs> subtitled for the Thai audience. But Kath, you're absolutely right. Like, Tony Jaw speaks Thai. Anyone else's dialogue, fair game at any point to be dubbed over in English. But let's get a little bit of the audio here from the sergeant. You lost the suspect and managed to cause all the ruckus on the road. I'm taking you both off the case. It's been a sign of someone else. As of now, you'll both be helping Lieutenant Vincent with security for the police commissioner's meeting with Mr. Sim. But Chief, you don't understand. I'm not arguing with you. I paired you up with Mark hoping you'd be able to keep him in line. I didn't expect you to start acting like him. As you know, Mr. Sim is a very powerful man. Needless to say, this is a delicate assignment. The sergeant here is like basically like, hey, Mark, you screwed up. And now I'm going to give you a delicate assignment. Again, what are we doing here? <laughs> it says again, like, hey, your food's terrible. Manage the restaurant. It's like, no, guys. <laughs> but then we get a segue to a segue as the police commissioner is riding in this, uh, riding towards his meeting with the criminal. For some reason, he's on a segue when no one else is. It's just down a hallway. I guess what we're just supposed to get that he's a badass, but really it looks, I don't know, it's very funny. That's all I got to say. Well, but it's also, okay, so this is the police commissioner meeting with a successful businessman. I thought, if anything, the successful businessman would show up on a Segway. Like, wow, did our tax dollars pay for this this commissioner's Segway to just traipse around an office building? This sucks. <laughs> I feel like I have a I have a special fondness in my heart for segways because they were invented in my home state of New Hampshire by our hometown hero inventor, uh, the guy who invented the Segway. And because of that, they gave segways to all the mailmen in my town. They were oh, like wow. the early, early before it became like a total joke, like right when they were rolling them out, li- literally rolling them out. The the mailmen nice. in my in my town got them. My friend's dad was a mailman and we were like, please, God, let us play on the Segway. Let us play on the fucking Segway. And he didn't let us play on the Segway. And I was very sad. Oh, yeah. Anyway, shout out to Segway. One of the most pointless inventions now used exclusively for tourists, I guess. I don't think anyone else has has used one. No, not at all. May you rest in peace. The inventor of the Segway who died. (laughs) On a Segway. Actually, the guy who bought the company, not the inventor. Oh, shit. As the, I'm as sorry. A, as a proud New Hampshireite, I must say that guy is still alive. But the guy who bought the company, for sure, segwayed off a cliff. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Nevertheless. <laughs> but this police commissioner and this businessman, they're like, let's have a Baron Harkonnen-themed party here. Because what they do is they <laughs> take off their shirts and uh, they lower their, their bodies into a giant mud pit to just be in mud together. And they bring in, and again, there's not a, I don't want to have an ounce of misogyny in this, but they bring in some mud sluts to <laughs> do dance for them. And one of these mud honeys, uh, trademark copyright, uh, the band, is Pia, right? Yes, she she's doing her job, I guess, as a sex worker. She's sexing up the businessman, Mr. Sim, which here's the thing, though. Mud dancing, not sexy. Mud wrestling barely is titillating, but like... To get into mud and like rub it on you, like, oh, do you like this 
wet dirt. Mm, like, and then it's all like it's shot in like saturated blues. It looks like a Hype Williams video. Whatever they thought they were doing with this, they are not doing. Yeah. My one of the my biggest problems with this is that she's not wearing a bathing suit. She's wearing like lingerie. And it's like, well, that's fucking ruined. Like that's yeah. th- you can't dry clean that. It's it's over. Why did you do that? It doesn't help. It doesn't make it sexier. It just makes you more concerned for yet another element of this. But yeah, the the dancing is not sexy, but don't worry, it is being um recorded on a 2003 video camera oh, uh, yeah, by that's right. the guy who who really wants to savor the moment, I guess, and watch it back later. Unfortunately, he will not have the opportunity to because of what happens next. But, you know, like how how desperate do you have to be where it's like this is going in the bank? Like, yeah, and unapologetically recording it, yeah. not even like kind of surreptitiously like holding a camera off to the side. It's like, no, I have to get all of this, you creepo. It really like and everyone, all bodies are beautiful etc etc these two guys are so nasty they're so baron harkonnen is the correct uh <laughs> they look like they look like in futurama when zoidberg doesn't have his shell on that's what they look like they're like somehow segmented bodies despite not being crustaceans i don't know it's there's like a, a lot going on there and i apologize to those men but it's it's nasty kath i don't mean to pile on but if I told you that I did not also think of Zoidberg, I'd be lying to you. <laughs> that one man who is shirtless. Like yeah, he's not the kind of person you normally see shirtless in a movie, even for that kind of character who gets murdered getting a boner in a mud pit. But uh, he <laughs> he's there and he does get murdered, right? I will absolutely pile on because because they are shirtless. It looks like they're wearing a suit to hide the squibs, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, because you can't put it on a, on a bare chest. So it's like, all right, give them the layers and we'll hide the, the, the squib in the layers. Yeah. I, my favorite Noah Baumbach movie, by the way, the squib in the layers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like, I, I, I feel like they're, they want us to think this. Like, this is, this is the context it is presented in. They want us to be revolted. So I, I feel okay. I think we're abiding by the filmmaker's wishes by describing these men as disgusting. But yeah, a very uncomfortable scene for sure. But here comes that evil policeman again. Oh, what's his name? Officer Vincent. And he takes out these dudes because these people were standing in the way of Madame Rose and her rise to power. Well, actually, to be fair, let's back that up a little bit because it's going to be uh, the dangling thread killer, Tui. Uh, he's going to come in. He's going to have a hoodie on. He's going to somehow get past security. All of this seems like it. it is explained in the longer version. We have no idea who Tui is. Nope. Tui, he actually makes a comment where he looks over at Mark and Rick and he's like, they made me do it right before he gets shot. So I'm just like, okay, go ahead, movie. Do whatever you want. Like, I almost <laughs> wish the, the uncut version didn't exist. So this is just how the movie is written. This is what Quentin Tarantino saw and was like, I must put my name on this. But after the bad guys uh, kill everyone, they do not kill Sergeant Mark because they're going to frame Sergeant Mark. But guess who saw all of this? Pia, and she was not killed. And then Sergeant Mark escapes. I don't know how. I don't know if it was mud related or not. So now the bad guys, (laughs) they got to find Sergeant Mark. They got to find Pia. How do we know this? Because throughout this movie, there are like news reports to kind of summarize what's going on. And there's something about these news reports, the way that the news is read and then the language itself, it feels like they were like AI generated. Like there's, it just, yeah. there's like a little bit of a lack of humanity in them. I think they might be AI because they just exist to know everything. Like Amy Liang has all the tea. She, she doesn't do any investigating. 
There's nobody on site who's like asking questions. This is like, hey, look what I've uh, determined from no knowledge of what's going on. I happen to know everything that happened. Yeah, apparently everyone in Sydney is just bewitched by a tie man in a scarf. Everybody's asking each other about this tie man in a scarf. They all know about him. They're breaking updates about how he exists just constantly throughout this movie. Which is weird because as we've just as we've said, Sydney is like the crime capital of the world. So the fact that this one guy is making waves is uh, pretty surprising to me. So then after all this, Mark is captured by Johnny's gang when Mark's girlfriend, I assume, is used as bait. Pia's apartment is ransacked while she's away and the cops arrive to arrest her. But Calm shows up and makes quick work of them off screen. Pia gives Calm the dirt on Johnny's hangout, the local Thai restaurant. That gives Calm all the motivation he needs to go in legs ablazing. It's an action set piece we'll call getting real crazy at a fake restaurant. Calm kicks the asses of everyone in the building. Johnny narrowly escapes with Mark's girlfriend before Calm arrives and rescues Mark. Hey, baby elephant corn is here too. With Calm and corn reunited, they hide out with Mark in a friendly temple determined to find and rescue Poriai and also Mark's girlfriend if they have time. So Mark, as we said in the, in the last chunk, he somehow escapes. He's on the run now. So he's on the phone with his girlfriend, uh, Malik, Mali, I don't know. And while he's on the phone with her and she's kind of warning him, hey, let's stay off comms, lay low. There is another inexplicable cameo. There's some cool guy who walks in front of Mark. He is center of screen, takes a big drink of something. I had to look this up because there actually is like a section on Wikipedia just for cameo appearances. Uh, another impressionist portrays Ty Rocker Secloso, the pitchman for the M150 energy drink. So I guess if you just get a guy who looks like Secloso drinking an energy drink, people are just going to go nuts and be like, oh my God, it's Secloso. So wait, it's not even Secloso. It's a guy who looks like Secloso. Wow. It is an impressionist. Wow. Yes. So they're, all their cameos are just uncanny cameos. Uncameos. This is like Hot Shots Naked Gun style, like, yeah. cutaways. I did notice that guy because he was, like, drinking a vial or something like that. The thing that's also crazy about this is, like, that's a Thai celebrity, right? This was, like, a Thai blockbuster. It was, like, the most successful Thai movie of all time. So it's like, why can't you just get that guy? Like, fascinating that they went with an impersonator. They just don't have the same laws that we do. We're like... <laughs> I have to imagine Sekloso sitting at a theater going, what the fuck is going on here? Why <laughs> yeah. am I in this movie? But Calm storms this restaurant. This restaurant is interesting because it seems to be at the second floor of clearly a video game level because the restaurant, it's like a weird, dingy, like dirt hotel that I don't know how to describe it other than a movie set. Because it, it, we're going to get a wonder here, one of these like uninterrupted shots where our action hero beats up like so many people in a row. And it's, you know, I'm not going to complain about the <laughs> the location. It's fake as fuck. But you know what? Who cares? What, what do we care about? We care about Tony Jacques kicking ass. And he does a lot of that in this scene. So I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to complain just a little bit. Because as we're getting set up to enter the, the Thai restaurant, Pia's telling Calm about, about the illegal operation that's going on. And so she even mentions, you know, before Johnny came along, we were just, you know, we had a small operation. But then he came along. And built the entrance in the back so all these criminals can go and just enter through the back and go into this illegal hotel or whatever. Was this hotel there before that and he just built the entrance or did he build this entire hotel? I have so many questions about it. It's also like at no point in this movie has anyone referred to it as a – they say it's a restaurant. 
They're like, this is a restaurant. And you go in, it's like, well, why do I have to walk by all these rooms with people fucking prostitutes in them to get to the restaurant? I'm just here to pick up my DoorDash. Like, what the fuck is going on here? (laughs) Restaurant is an understatement. This is a palace of vice. That's what this place is. It is a one-stop shop for all things pleasure. I'm surprised it, well, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that it hasn't gotten busted because as we learn after this whole sequence, like the, the detective like hat in hand is on the news like, well, we found this house of ill repute and I think some of our officers were involved with it. But I'll tell you what, the one shot when we enter the hotel or when we enter the, the house of ill repute all the way to the top of the stairs, one unbroken shot. I marked out at this. This is, you know, it's not the most technically perfect shot I've ever seen as far as one shots go. But the fact that it goes on for so long and, you know, we've said this about unbroken shots in the past. I think we said this for hard boiled where it's like, if anybody messes up, they have to reset this whole fucking thing for them to make it to the top. It is an achievement. I marked out. This is really terrific. Yeah. This is like the part of this movie that like has really stuck with me is, is for as goofy as the premise of this movie set is, it is a cool striking movie set to do a one shot in. Like I do have like a very vivid memory of this, of this staircase and he's throwing people off the balconies and yeah, it's the action in it. If you're like a a nerd for technical martial arts, this is probably the least technical fight scene in the movie, but it's awesome. It's, really cool and Tony Jaw kicks a lot of ass and he is throwing people off of shit and yeah a one shot is impressive enough when there's just like a lot of moving parts but when half of it is incredibly intense stunt work it's pretty incredible I I really really like this part I did not mark out on this one unbroken shot to your point though the fact that you know if somebody screws up one thing they have to reset let's say they shot this 10 times and this was the best version I I should be a little bit kinder to it. (laughs) However, there's just too many moments here where it feels like instead of acting or fighting, they're just like hitting their marks. Yeah. yeah. Like so much to remember, right? Like the choreography for like Tony Jaa has to like go here, 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 do this, this, this. And sometimes it feels like he's like, oh, here. And then this guy and I just touch him. Like he forgets (laughs) to like give a kick or a punch is all because he's got to remember like a hundred things. But I just, I noticed it too many times and it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Because the thing with those kind of shots, like if they extend too far, instead of being like, whoa, what a cool story, you're like, how are they doing this? Uh, so I don't know. It, it was definitely fun, though. It was Those kind of shots I always feel like are super fun. But Com fights his way up to the restaurant, which I guess is an eat them all restaurant. Because, Kath, did you and I do a an episode of, like with Master Pancake Theater, Austin's premier movie mocking group, did we do a show where we made fun of an episode of Lawner SVU with the same plot in terms of smuggled animals. Was that you? I don't know if it was me or if I've just seen that episode, but yeah, the shots of the people hedonistically slurping up the illicit animals in this scene is incredible. Just, they could not make it look more nasty. They really went all out. It's very good. I love that they got like a white dude to like, mm, yum, a scorpion. Yeah. <laughs> like, just... Again, the kind of job you dream of when you're just a white person I mean, I guess if they filmed in Australia, that would not happen. But I remember when I was in India, that was like a fairly common thing that would happen if you were a white person in Southern India is they would ask you to come be like in the background in a movie they're shooting or like sometimes they'd even give you a line or like, you know, you'd like watch people dance or something. Really, the dream is to just be like a tourist in India or China or something and be asked to slurp up a scorpion all nasty in a movie. A medium term dream if I've ever heard one. See, now I think that's going to be my mid-level dream is to be in one of those movies where it's like, hey, you can't do that to Komarom Beam. Yes. And like, that's it. <laughs> that's my exactly. one line. But waiting at this restaurant is Johnny. 
And Kam is a little worn out from beating up everyone who ever existed. <laughs> Johnny makes quick work of Kam. And then Johnny, to rub it in Kam's face that he has his elephant, he throws that rope with the bell on it. Remember, oh, you can't go to a water festival without buying a, a bell on a rope. He throws that at Kam. He's like, hey, here's your fucking elephant's necklace or whatever. Yes. And, and so this is where Kam starts to put two and two together. He's like, where did you get this bell from? And he starts looking around the restaurant, seeing all these people eating exotic things. He's like, oh, no, you ate my elephants. And then from there, as they set up at the introduction of the movie, people derive their energy from the elephant spirit. So this is just calm hulking out. He, he's, he wraps that rope with the bell on it around his wrist, and he's going elephant mode on everybody. My feral wife uh, was watching this, and she described it as him going into bell mode. <laughs> because, yeah, as soon as he gets his bell, we're back to that... Tony Jaw disrespectful fighting. I think he can't be bothered to actually give a shit and still manages to like beat the crap out of Johnny. So yeah, man, uh, full bell mode com is uh, is tough to beat. There's also a lot of like very fun during this sequence. The sound effects of the punches go straight to like cartoon mode, like psh, psh, uh, get a lot of very fun punch sound effects. But then Com goes to like free all these animals. He notices it's not just animals locked in the restaurant; it's people as well. Now. I'm sure these people are just meant to be trafficked, but <laughs> I say that like that's nothing. <laughs> Question for the panel. Are these people going to be food? Were these people going to get eaten as well? 100% that was my thought. Whether it was tongue in cheek or not, the fact that I did have that thought where it's like, okay, they're in this pen with all these animals. They open up this room. It's all these like ladies. They're just like drugged or out of it or just, you know, a thousand yard stare, zoned out. Yeah, no, I thought they were going to be food. I definitely, it never occurred to me that they were going to be food until right now. I just assumed not food. But you know what? You are you guys are making a pretty pretty solid case for them being food. No, no. <laughs> Even what? though David agrees with me, I prefer your world, Kath. Like, when you said you didn't think they're going to be food, thank you. Because I, I wanted to be wrong. <laughs> I also, like, I feel like it's this classic movie thing where, like, so, like, when he first walks in and it's fucking Nine Inch Nails closer, it's like monkey in a cage, <laughs> green lighting, he's in this nasty little back room with all these nasty animals. And it's like this emotional manipulation thing where we watch all of this violence and all of this, like, we've already seen sex workers having to entertain, like, disgusting, lecherous men. But, like, we see a sad animal in a cage and we're like, that's it. That is fucking it. So then going through and seeing sad animals and then seeing trafficked women, I feel like as an audience member and calm, we are like more upset by the animals. And that made me feel very bad. Like, well, yeah, it's a movie. There's going to be trafficked women in it. It's a movie. There always is. Yeah. But a sad animal can't take that. That's crossing the line, protector. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> this is the hell of being a man. You think everything is food. <laughs> But guess who's also being held hostage there? It's Sergeant Mark. And then, oh, look who snuck up on me. Corn the elephant. Because <laughs> you know elephants. They're ninja-like sneaking abilities. But reunited with at least one of his elephant pals, Calm, Mark, and Corn beat a hasty retreat. So they're gone, Mac. Let's check in on Rose. Madam Rose is having a dinner party with the local crime bosses where she eliminates her competition and declares herself ruler of the underworld. After a brief retreat, Calm and Mark return to their temple hideout, only to find it set on fire by Johnny and his men. Com fights some mid-level bosses in an action set piece we'll call The Conflict of Styles and Fists. Com has a difficult time beating up a giant wrestler, played by Nathan Jones, but thankfully has significantly less trouble beating up a guy who's really good at capoeira, played by Latif Crowder. So this chunk of the movie is going to start off with, with Madame Rose. She finds out that Mark has escaped. 
Vincent is is telling her this news, but he's like, but we still have the police officer's girlfriend. We still have, you know, Malia or Malik or whatever. And Madame Rose is like, hey, I control the cops. Do you think I give a shit about the leverage I have on this one guy? And so Madame Rose is, is in this tub. She's bathing in a bed of roses. She gets out and kisses Vincent. So I'm, I'm bringing all this up because I got a question for the panel. So it turns out in the 25 minutes that were cut from the original movie, there was a subplot or there was more conversation had about the fact that Madame Rose was a transsexual. So my question for y'all, would you have preferred that they keep it in this movie or would you worry about how it would have been handled? I think it depends on how it came up in the original. I feel like it probably only came up in the way it is sort of slant alluded to here, which is that she she basically, it, it when you don't know that she's uh, trans, it basically just reads as the guy who owns the business thinking of her as like too much of a girl boss, where he's basically like, a lady can't be in charge. But then when you know, oh, he's saying because she's trans, she shouldn't be like the face of this yeah. organization or whatever. I feel like if that's the plot point, then like, yeah, sure. Why not? That's interesting. Like that adds something to the character. Also, the actress playing her is trans. So like, that's cool. Yeah. Also, that's like way more of a normal thing in Thai culture. It's not something that is like especially novel or titillating or anything. So I feel like that's probably fine. I feel like there was absolutely no way they could leave it in the American movie and not be weird about it. I would say that. There you go. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like this is, you know, but it's telling that we're having this conversation now in 2023 with with all the politics around it, with all the sort of it's become a hot button issue. But this movie's from 2005. And like you said, you know, this is more commonplace anti-culture. You know, I don't know. There's a part of me that wishes it had been addressed, but I did kind of worry that they would have cut out the serious or the or the parts with any sort of heft and just leave it as a punchline. Right. Or like the cop is gross because he is kissing her like that would have been the angle on it and not oh this is an interesting this complicates the power dynamics of her business or whatever it would just be like nasty weird you know yeah see in my opinion i don't think it was cut out because it's trans actress like you know i just assumed her character was trans as well and then in this scene when she's meeting with these other mob bosses and the mob bosses are like i don't think you should take over madam rose i think it should be this guy because he's the boss's son and Madame Rose is like, well, that boss was my father too. And one of the mobsters says something like, he's like, yeah, but you're not a, it's like son, daughter, what are you? So he does in, insult her a little bit. And then he instantly gets put in his place. But yeah, I agree with you. The fact that this movie, it, it did not treat her transness as anything other than just like, oh, that's what the character is. Yeah, besides like a brief comment from this shitty dude who the fact that a shitty dude says something shitty is not shocking in the movie. I thought it was pretty cool. Like, that's one of the things I remembered about this movie was like, oh, the the villain in this thing is trans and there is a normalcy to that that you do not find in American cinema. So, uh, so yeah, I, I was, I'm on board. I, I, I liked it. That's interesting that you'd say that because when I saw this, I did not pick up on the fact that she was trans. I thought that that comment just meant, you're a woman, why are you in business? Like, that's what I thought that yeah. meant, was like, you're acting like a man because you're trying to take over. What are you? And I think that's because, I, I just think that's because of like, in 2005, a character being trans and that being the only remark, it just wouldn't compute to me because of the world we were living in that like if that's it why aren't they making a bigger deal of this you know what I mean which is a I'm glad that we are past that point in culture but I just didn't even pick up on it at all until I was reading the Wikipedia page and I was like oh she's trans that's cool that's kind of where I was with it too where 
it didn't really click for me until the second viewing. I think the line is, uh, someone says, look at yourself, not a man or a woman. And so like the first time I'm watching it, that just kind of goes over my head, much in the same way that a lot of things that were left in from the uncut version kind of went over my head. Like, who's this assassin? Like, <laughs> what what is the stream sequence? A line like that didn't really register until I read the Wikipedia, until I did a little more research on it. But uh, I'll meet you in the middle on that one. I think you're right. They didn't, you know, they didn't cut it out of the movie entirely. But with that seed planted, I kind of wish they had done more with it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there is a difference between doing something and then not fucking up. <laughs> and just the fact that this movie did not fuck up. It's like, yeah, that's a pretty shitty baseline. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, congratulations, you're not racist. It's like, nah, man, there's a difference between not racist and anti-racist. But yeah, that's, that is where we are. But the individuals that are being discussed as proper successors to the throne of this criminal underworld, they are children. Like one's like a teen, one's like a kid, and they're sitting there eating food. Uh, David, what happens? So uh, so Madam Rose gets her take two on this soup dinner. She's made dinner for everybody. And it turns out this time she did poison the soup. So the next in line that they're talking about to be the successor, he drops. This other kid drops from, from being poisoned by the soup. Madam Rose will kill kids who stand in her way. I loved this. That's awesome. Yeah, she didn't give a fuck. She we we saw like an eight year old die, like <laughs> full on die, like foaming at the mouth. It was pretty wild. Yeah. Look, I don't want to split hairs here, but one kid ate the soup. The other kid was clearly eating a kebab, a poison, poison kebab. kebab. Yeah. <laughs> when they when they died, and then there's like another AI news report that's like uh, everyone be on the lookout for a Sergeant Mark, and we cut to this temple where some temple worshipers look over and they go, I think that's Sergeant Mark. <laughs> and, and Sergeant Mark goes to comedy. He's like, we got to get out of here for a while. And then later on, cut to them in their van or whatever. And I guess Mark's temple sense was ringing because he goes, hey, let's get back to the temple. And they get back to the temple just in time for it to be on fucking fire. Because the bad guys, I guess, are trying to burn down this temple. This is my favorite bad edit in the movie. It's so funny. It's so <laughs> funny. It's like, I feel like if they're going to make a jarring edit, the jarring edit is the people going, I think that's Sergeant Mark, and then the temple being on fire. Like that, yeah. but they're like, we got to leave this temple. And then literally the next scene is like, we got to go back to that temple. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's like, why is this in the movie? It's absolutely wild. And I feel like that, there's one in the beginning too, but that's one where I'm like, this took as long to cut for time as the amount of time that they took out of the movie. That this was done in real time. This was an in point out point situation because this is insane. But then the temple looks fucking awesome on fire. I gotta say, it looks great. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's funny because the last episode we did was with Carrie Lindo. And that was the movie Sudden Death where Jean-Claude Van Damme plays a fire marshal. And a fire marshal watching this movie, I'm sure would also be like pulling their hair out. <laughs> Because the temple gets lit on fire. There's a sprinkler system, but it does not put out the fire. No. It just fills the temple with just water. Just makes it look cooler. So now, yeah, it's basically like a weird boys to men video <laughs> at this moment. Uh, and, and here we go. Kath, you alluded to this. It's now time for a style showcase or style fight. Because the first person that Com has to fight is a capoeira fighter who's got, I guess, some scarification. Because it looks like someone took a knife and carved the word prey. P-R-A-Y into his chest. And this dude, by the way, I forget his name. David, do you remember it? Or, or Latif Crowder, you wrote it down. So Pedro Pascal now basically just only does the voice of the Mandalorian. And one of the dudes in the Mandalorian suit, it's Latif Crowder. Hell yeah, good for him. Uh, we, got a, we got a Mando fight. Yeah, and so then after he beats up the Capoeira guy, 
Here comes a dude with a sword doing a fighting a wushu style. The wushu fight is one of my favorite parts of the movie. I really, really like the the wushu fight with the with the drum and the drumsticks and all that shit. That's sick. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Also, he goes bell mode again with the big bells in the wushu fight. If that guy rings a bell, can't stop him. Yeah, really fun. I mean, this is a super fun fight because sure, it would have been cool if these mid-level guys had been like teased a little bit. Like maybe when we saw Johnny earlier, these guys like sitting on the bar, you know, like in the raid. Part of the reason that the fight between Rama and Baseball Batman and Hammer Girl was so awesome is because we saw Hammer Girl and Baseball Bat Guy murder some other people. Mm. If we had seen Wushu Sword Guy and Capoeira Guy like in action earlier, this fight would have been, you know, even more of a buildup. But this fight is really not about Capoeira Guy or Wushu Guy. It is about the third dude here. He is credited as TK. The actor is Nathan Jones. He was also in Mad Max Fury Road. He is 330 pounds. He's 6'11". Do you know his nickname in Australia, by the way? He's like, you know, of course, a power lefter and a pro wrestler and all these people. I, I Do you don't. know what he's referred to as? No. They call him Mega Man, guys, uh, which <laughs> I just, I love. And Mega Man's entrance in this movie is amazing because, oh, does he kick open a door like the Kool-Aid Man? No, he's just massive arm <laughs> Bursting through a wall. It's so good. It's like an arm entrance. And like, you, sure, Tony Jaw is pretty slender, but he's not like uh, four foot eight. But standing next to this dude, he's dwarfed. It kind of reminds me of the that fight in, is it John Wick 3 between Keanu Reeves and Boban Marjanovic, that NBA player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, you're used to seeing NBA players like this, you know, Boban Marjanovic is like, what, seven five or something? But if he's standing next to Tim Duncan, it's not that crazy. Yeah. But standing next to like six three Keanu Reeves, you're like this dude's a this guy's a literal giant. Yeah, I that's something I like think about a lot in wrestling and in fight scenes and stuff. Is like you don't need huge people as long as you can create a good sense of scale and you can make the guy who's supposed to be big look really big. And Tony Jaw is he's build uh, IMDb says five eight. I'd imagine that means probably five six. He's definitely he's not skinny. He's definitely jacked. But like this guy is just like built in a whole other dimension. And I love this fight because I do feel like this is this movie answers the classic dismissive question for all these martial arts guys is like, well, yeah, but what do you do if the guy's just big? You can do all this training, but what if he's big? And uh, this movie is it, I'm glad they investigated this for us because it's awesome. It's really cool. I love a no selling huge guy. Just he doesn't say any words. He's just roaring this whole fight as Tony John tries to fuck him up. It's great. <laughs> he really is roaring, yeah. <laughs> no, th they did a terrific job with him. I, I think he's probably, as far as, like, mid-level bosses go, I think he's one of the better ones on the mountain, like, as far as, like, any movie we've seen. I wish they had teased him a little bit more, but, like, when he finally does fight Khan, when he finally does fight Tony Ja, they do such a great job of putting him over because he is this immovable object. Like, you know, Khan has done such a great job of dispatching everybody in his way so for him to finally find a guy that, you know, I'm going to punch his, his stomach and he's not going to move. I'm going to do my cannonball knees to the chest and I'm not even going to knock him over. I, I was so into TK. I thought they did a great job with him. Also, Tony Jaw's stunts in this and in, in both of his scenes with this guy are like really incredible just in that he is taking bumps that like should break a person's back. Like it is. Really crazy. Even if you're using like foam in place of a wall or something, like it is still he. This guy, he's going flying. Like this guy is throwing him tens of feet. It's pretty awesome. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and then later on, in the second time they meet, like Nathan Jones, Mega Man, the beating that he takes, it's like, oh, he could probably take it. He's three hundred thirty pounds. 
this dude is going to be in a wheelchair when he's 65 if he keeps going at this rate. I get why he fucking joined a monastery. I get why he was like, I'm out. I can't I can't get thrown against any more walls. Well, I was talking about Nathan oh. Jones, but you're right. Tony Jaa probably also will be right there with him in a smaller wheelchair. <laughs> but during this fight, we hear some sirens and then I just another weird edit. Yep. We just cut away. Did they leave? Who fucking cares? The implication there is like, oh, I guess this fight's over. And the business of how people go from one scene to the next, this movie is not concerned with that. <laughs> Quick punch up. I wish Nathan Jones had been like, I've got priors. And then he runs out. He like volunteers <laughs> yeah. to stop the fight early. See, that could have just been a quick ADR. You don't need to like film anything. Would have would have helped so much. My punch up here would have been Mega Man going to be like, I thought we owned the cops. And then Johnny being like, not these cops. And, uh, <laughs> and they're like, and then, uh, get some sort of like weird noise. And then they scamper out of there. Yep. But Mac, meanwhile, while Pia is turning over important evidence in the murder of the police commissioner, Com and Corn go looking for Elephant Poriai. They interrupt an unexplained press conference from Madame Rose. Detective Vincent gets the upper hand on Com and Corn before Mark takes the elevator down to shoot Vincent. Com follows Corn upstairs and discovers Madame Rose waiting for them in her lair. Do all corporate skyscrapers have layers? Most do, Mac, yes. There we find out Madame Rose has killed Poriai and used the elephant skeleton as a decoration. At first, Com is too sad to fight back against the onslaught of henchmen, but then he remembers the good times he had with Poriai, and he is filled with the spirit of his dead elephant friend. It's an action set piece we'll call Bonebreaker. So we're going to start this with Com. He's reinvigorated. He, he's got corn by his side. And he's like, together we're going to find Poriai. So they go to this skyscraper. They interrupt this press conference, and like all eyes turn to Com and, and Corn, and Com's like, where's my elephant? How confusing must it be? When the guy with an elephant is shouting, where's my elephant? It's like, oh, is this Saw? Are you trying to break my brain? What do I say to this guy? His elephant's right next to him. You know, if one of us ever makes a movie, even if there is not a longer director's cut, you need to go ahead and say there is. Because in my mind, this 25-minute longer original Thai version, it must make all the sense in the world. Because the version that we all watch does not make sense. What the fuck is this press conference? Madame Rose is like, I'm going to take this corporation to new heights. What corporation? Are there shareholders in your gang? Like, what is happening? Yes, it just, there's no explanation. And then, <laughs> I don't, the elephant comes and everyone's like, let's just clear out of here or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, they go back up to the lair, which I guess, you know, again, every corporation probably has, you know, a throne room. You don't see a lot of rooftop lairs. Like, usually a lair implies kind of subterranean, but she's really unorthodox with it. It's, yeah, it's, okay, let's go up to the top. Let's go up to the penthouse. Oh, is there a great view? No, everything's blacked out. <laughs> no no sunlight's getting it. Stage lights only. Yeah. Great layer says Shredder. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> <laughs> the, the light that they bust through later. Oh, the Ninja Turtles would have loved to smash through that thing. <laughs> and we, we find out what happened to poor, poor Yai the elephant. That uh, they, poor Yai was killed. And not only killed, but boned. Because... <laughs> The elephant's skeleton was removed and cleaned, I guess, and now set up as a decoration. Just like, you know, like, hey, my throne room feels kind of empty. I need a giant elephant skeleton that will lay some gold on top of. Not like bond the gold to the skeleton, just like drape it in some gold stuff. And again, this should have been like the last piece to connect. Well, not the last piece, I guess, corn's still alive. But a big piece of what connected Calm to his father has now also been killed and taken from him. If you love an elephant and it's your friend and now the elephant's been murdered to be a decoration, I guess that's emotional enough. 
Well, you're, you're acting like poor Yai was killed in vain. No, it was, in my estimation, solely to wear the headdress. Yeah. Because you have to imagine, before poor Yai was killed, that headdress was just laying on a futon. And, like, Madame Rose was like, I really got to get something to bring this room together. You, I was going to say, you got to wonder what was in the lair before the elephant skeleton. Because it's, it's a pretty spare lair, if I do say so. Not a whole lot going on in there, you know? It is like when you have, like, framed pictures, like, on your floor because you keep forgetting to hang them up so they're, like, propped up <laughs> against the wall. That's, like, how that lair would have looked without that without that elephant scale. I mean, in my mind, that space was always meant for an elephant. And they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe when a tribe gives you an elephant, that'll be a good moment for you after the elephant dies. And maybe Madame Rose is like, I don't got time for that. Let's kill a fucking elephant. <laughs> uh, but then while Calm is recovering, people start to beat him up. He gets real, gets real sad. Yeah, there's a a montage of like grief fighting that is very strange. That again, I'm attributing to this other cut is maybe a real fight scene, but it's a it sort of becomes a fight scene after a montage. Like it's an odd choice. This is another one of those lonely island moments because it's <laughs> yeah. Tony Jaw. He's so crestfallen. He's he's sad. He's crying. And meanwhile, there's just our hands and feet kicking and punching him. <laughs> he's you know he's not moving to his credit. He's taking the blows. Yeah. But, like, he takes those blows for a very long time before he finally decides, oh, I, I need to fight back and, and hulks out and, and takes on everybody. But when he finally decides to take on everybody, as the back of the box alluded to, he's going to take on, let's say, 50 people. It's going to be calm versus everyone. I marked out. It's, re it's realistic fighting in the sense that whenever I watch an action movie, as I've mentioned before, whenever I watch a fight scene... I always see if there's something I could use maybe one day if I happen to get lucky enough to get my ass kicked. And like a lot of this, you know, it feels like actual fighting. Tony Jaa is dispatching all of these fighters. There's a lot of writhing. It's very realistic. I was super into this. I marked out. I One thing I like about this that I feel like sometimes people give action movies shit for, but that I appreciate is like, yeah, all these guys have one HP because like, or one XP because like, yeah, if your arm got broken, you're done fighting. The, he dispatches all of them very quickly, but that's because he is literally breaking their bones. So like, yeah, this would be how it is. I guess in real life, they wouldn't come at you one at a time, but they would go down one at a time. Like that is yeah. accurate. I appreciate it. Also, this has a lot of what we've been talking about, about like sort of vengeful. Like he's just like pissed off that you're even coming near him. My favorite one he does that feels very vengeful is like the ankle strike where he's just like, don't even get fucking near me. He just sort of kicks their foot uh, right in the tendon and it's all over for them. It's great. And then we get a wonderful wide shot at the end of all of them writhing and uh, it's delightful. It's That's a good so Lonely good. Island thing too, I think. <laughs> all the guys writhing. Yeah. yeah, right when this fight started, I found myself thinking like, oh man, I haven't had a markout moment in a while. Is the momentum gone from this movie? Like, has this movie run out of places to go? When Calm starts fighting these guys, yeah, you're right. He is pissed off. He's not satisfied with just punching them. Everyone that approaches him leaves with something broken, a broken arm, broken leg, broken nose, broken wrist. You fuck with me now, eh, I'm going to break something. And at the beginning of the scene, I was like, wow, it's breaking a lot of stuff. And you get like a lot of like broken celery sound this effect. This was when my friend Dan and my drinking game really went into overdrive. This was really the, the finale of that drinking game. But as the bone breaking like builds and builds and keeps going, the more I'm into it and I'm marked out again, I just start laughing. I'm loving it. This is my another mark out moment for me. And something else I noticed with the subtitles is when the henchmen would come up and then and scream, 
the subtitles would say, uh, Henchman 13 screams, <laughs> Henchman 14 screams. <laughs> so you start getting this like running count of all the bad guys he beats up. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And then Kathy, you're right. Like the shot at the end with everyone like writhing around. Yeah. It felt like Kill Bill there with when you see all the people like, oh. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a funny, like very self-aware take on you. Look, he beat up a lot of people. <laughs> when I was looking at the Wikipedia though, a uh, quick note, the bad cop officer, Vincent, like he's about to shoot calm and then ding, the elevator door opens. Sergeant Mark gets out and he shoots Vincent, right? Somebody we never saw again is Johnny. Well, apparently in the longer version, Mark, Sergeant Mark apprehends Vincent, who is later shot by Johnny. So Johnny, I guess, like sick of it, does like a little bit of a face turn mm. and sides with uh, the angels here. But yes, but in this version, it's just like Johnny just fucking disappears. But all these henchmen are dead. Calm is sick of appetizers. He's hungry. He's ready to eat. That's right, Mac. After Calm defeats all of the henchmen, he moves on to the final boss fight. It's Calm versus Mega Man versus Madame Rose versus other biggies. Calm prevails by using elephant bones as weapons. Madame Rose tries to escape via helicopter, but it's just a farther distance to fall as she plummets to her death. The police department clears Mark's name, and Calm is able to go into hiding with nothing to his name but his baby elephant. So, the return of TK, joining forces with Madame Rose... Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Mega Man? <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> I love this name so much. <laughs> this was awesome, you know, because then you also get Madame Rose turning into a fighter. She pulls out a bullwhip at one point. She uses the chopsticks in her hair holding her bun up. She uses those as weapons. It's everybody against Calm. I, I really enjoyed this as well. The whip stuff is awesome. It's really fucking cool. I, I kind of wish there was more of it in this movie. I wish we maybe got a tease of her like we did of TK because who knew she had a whip? She's awesome. Yeah, even a training moment like in the second act where Vincent comes in and, and he's like, Madam Rose, this, this, and this. And she's like practicing a bullwhip. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. I would that. love that. It's exactly what you want out of this kind of villain who's not necessarily going to be like a physical threat to our hero. The fact that they have a skill that maybe puts them like a real risk towards, you know, hurting our hero. Or in this case, when teaming with these biggies, you know, maybe having what it takes to win the day. And speaking of, I guess somebody uh, accidentally got Mega Man wet because he spawns <laughs> off like four other nearly as huge dudes who like crack their knuckles and they start like beating up calm, including we see a shot here of some one of these big guys grabbing corn. I think Kath or David, I forget who talked about it earlier, but can you describe what happens here between this other random bad guy, Biggie and, and Korn? It's, there's a few shots in this that are great. There's one where, so Korn tries to sort of help, right? And uh, he goes after the Biggies and there's a shot of the, the, the Biggies, clearly these power lifters who've been hired for the day to come do this clearly have no idea how to like touch this elephant. Like they're just sort of <laughs> maneuvering around it, sort of making it look like they're fighting him. But then one of them, I believe the, the phrase David used was County fair tosses. This elephant <laughs> just gives it the heave ho into the fucking corner, like sideways, like somehow grabs all four of its legs and like swings it. It is amazing. Poor corn, but laugh out loud. <laughs> Funny moment in this movie for sure. The shot is like so fast and a little blurry. Do you think it's because it was just so unrealistic or did the actual like prop of the fake elephant, did it look terrible? Because if it didn't, if you paid for a fake elephant dummy, I want to see these dudes like dropping atomic elbows on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just Absolutely. really going to town on this elephant dummy. <laughs> 
<laughs> just giving it the 21 gun salute. Yeah. But I hope that it's because it was a lousy special effect and not because it was an actual elephant. If I find out that they tossed an elephant on international waters, I am going to lose my mind. Uh, one of the Golden Globus Canon Films movies, uh, which, you know, of course, are legendarily bad. Uh, Lou Ferrigno played Hercules. And at some moment, he's like fighting a bear, right? And he's, it's one of the bears that he, I guess he throws into space and becomes like the Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, like the Big Dipper. And there's a shot of him grabbing a bear by a tail, swinging it around, cut to wide shot, planet Earth. And then we see the bear <laughs> flying off into space. The widest possible shot. Just yeah. could not be a wider shot. Exterior, yeah. Earth, day. <laughs> cut to, or maybe cut to someone at the Sydney Opera House, like looking at one of those like <laughs> binoculars you pop in a quarter or a dollar buck. <laughs> And it, uh, it lets you look at it and go, Daddy, look. And then you, you look through and you see a fucking elephant shooting out the side of a skyscraper. Yeah, I want like a I want like a happy Gilmore, like when he hits the golf ball and it goes to all the different scenes of the golf ball hitting different stuff. I want that with the elephant. That's what I want. But thankfully, this is the part where Calm goes bell mode again. He's going. Oh, he doesn't go quite bell mode, David. He goes bone mode. Oh, thank you, of course. <laughs> Because he gets thrown into uh, poor Yai's skeleton and, you know, some of the legs break off and he's like, oh, I can use these. Uh, and he has a flashback to his teachings as a child. We finally learn uh, some of the vulnerable parts of an elephant. And his dad is telling him, you know, the Achilles is the most vulnerable part of the elephant. So what does Calm do? He decides, oh, I'm going to start slicing and dicing these big guys because they'll fall just like an elephant. This is going to be another mark out moment for me. Not so much the bone usage. That's very cool. Don't get me wrong. It's fucking awesome. But there's a moment where Kam is using the the bones to to slice and sever. And then you get like a final destination type of special effect where you see the tendon severing. Are you talking about tendon vision? I am talking about <laughs> tendon vision. And then you couple that with the henchman's like convulsing reaction as he gets <laughs> chopped down like a tree. This is going to be my fourth mark out moment of the movie. I did not mark out, but it is pretty cool because the bad guy, it's like the direction they gave him is like, okay, he just slices your tendon and don't fall down right away. Act like you're being electrocuted for like a minute. <laughs> and then after he beats everyone back up, the camera will return to you. You'll still be shaking, but not, not yet fallen. It's quite a beat down. The moment when Com like realizes he can use the bones. I think it's here where he gets beaten up so badly that he has a vision of his dad, you know, like you mentioned, talking about the elephant's vulnerability. But then he also has a vision of, I guess, a past life or his like ancestors looking down at him, his ancestors being the elephant protectors. The shot is like the elephant protectors of yore. They're rushing off into battle and they're looking down at the camera. And the point of view is like, I guess, of a fallen warrior looking up at his comrades. Which, sure, I guess it's neat, maybe, I don't know. But honestly, it's kind of a flex on the bad guy. It's like, oh, I hit that guy so hard, he fucking went to his past life. I hit that dude so hard, he made contact with his dead ancestors. That's a blow. I gotta say, another notch in Mega Man's belt. But Rose is trying to get away. She's trying to escape in this obvious uh, CGI helicopter. Does she make it? I think she makes it. End of movie. Bad guys win, right? No, Mac. So uh, her henchman, I guess he's called the fortune teller. I, this is never brought up. I had to see it in the credits. The fortune teller is taking off in the helicopter. Madam Rose hops on to a very convenient helicopter holding onto device. And so Com's like, uh-uh, not so fast. Go out a little bit further. Go out a little bit further. There you go. And decides to do one final cannonball of death. Knocks her off the copter. They both fall to their deaths, presumably. End of movie. No. 
They don't fall to their deaths. Well, first of all, being in this episode, the back of the box description said, without stunt doubles, wires, or CGI. Okay, but this shot completely takes place in front of a green screen on a set because Teddy Jean really didn't launch himself <laughs> off of the top of a skyscraper. <laughs> this movie wasn't dedicated to the memory of our flat friend, pilot hamburger, fully knows Tony Jaw. We assume that Madame Rose dies, but before hitting the ground, Calm is caught by the skeleton of an elephant. Everyone knows the softest thing to land on. But David and Kath, it's the tusks of poor Yai. Just like we saw in the beginning of the movie, a young Calm being cradled in the tusks of this uh, elephant, or possibly another elephant, is now cradled in the tusks of the dead friend. We've come full circle. The bond between elephant and man is unbreakable. There's a masterpiece in there somewhere. Not in this version, not in the 83-minute version of The Protector, but I think that uncut version no. might be kind of brilliant. <laughs> this is not going to work out. <laughs> I think we're putting too much stock in this uncut version. If I were the producer of this movie, I'd burn every copy of the uncut version. What about the version that's left gives us faith that the uncut version is like a <laughs> See? masterpiece Thank you, of Kath. Thank cinematography? You. Uh, I don't know, the mud bath? Uh. <laughs> yeah, this I love cushioned by the bones of an elephant just oh this will break my fall i'm totally unharmed pretty amazing look i maintain that that this movie is almost like a magic trick there's a paradox going on because you know we're wrapping up the movie this is an 83 minute movie that we just finished watching but as credits roll you you hit your remote control you find out there's five minutes and 49 seconds of credits (laughs) on an 83 minute movie so they they tried to pack as much as they could into 83 minutes but then there's also this longer version that I want to see that out, that exists out there in the world. I don't know what's going on, man. The three minutes of those credits were just the in memoriam sequence for all the stunt people that died <laughs> making <true>. this thing. <laughs> there is some voiceover at the end that um, wags its finger at us in our modern ways and says we should accept the old ways of being friends with elephants. And that is, I guess, the end of The Protector. All right, David, how many markout moments did you have? I had four markout moments. How about you? The same. I marked out four times as well. Kath, real quick question. I know you want to keep track of your, your markout moments, your mom's. Would you and your friend Dan, while watching this movie and drinking, would you finish the movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. For sure. We get we get all the way through. Impressive. Uh, you New Hampshire people don't fuck around. <laughs> At 83 minutes, we can, we can handle it. That's a lot of drinking, though. <laughs> well, let's pose the question to you. Do you happen to recall any markout moments, or do you happen to have a tally on that? I think probably I think probably four or five. I mean, I I like the the staircase battle. I love the style battle. I think all those are great. The Wushu guy is my favorite. I I love the ATVs. I love all the bone breaking. Yeah, I I really feel like every action set piece in this movie delivers. I th- I think they're all great. Uh, unfortunately, the movie around it leaves a lot to be desired. But the action sequences are excellent. Guys, is this someone's favorite movie? I think it is absolutely possible. I know I shouldn't champion a movie i've never seen i wouldn't doubt it if the uncut version is someone's favorite movie i i I just think it's i get the sense it's a more well-rounded movie it's a more complete movie i'll bet somebody enjoys that one i feel like i could even see the american one being someone's favorite movie because like it was i mean dan and i fucking loved it even though it didn't make any sense i maybe not in 2023 but i bet when it came out in 2005 this american version was someone's favorite movie for a while i believe it yeah i agree with that it could have been someone's favorite movie for a bit and then they saw some more movies but that's yeah. that's always <laughs> the way it is. all right time for some punch-ups we're the ultimate script doctors everybody knows that david and kath how would you fix this movie how would you punch it up 
I've got two. One of them I've already beat to death. Let's see this original uncut version. I'm actually, I did see the Blu-ray has both versions. I'm going to order it tonight. I do want to watch that for the inventory episode. My my real main punch up as far as the protector, as far as the 83 minute version, pretty solid movie. As you know, as much as you can cobble together footage and make a movie out of it, they did a pretty fantastic job keeping the action, slimming it down, and just you know focusing on a quick action movie. But they didn't. I feel like they did a bit of a disservice with the mid level bosses, more specifically Mega Man. I was really impressed with Mega Man in this movie. Oh, Mega Man's so good. If you want to take it up a notch, if you really want to secure Mega Man's role in the in the pantheon of mid-level bosses or just villains in general. Let him cut a promo. Like let's get something in the second act where he's like, I'm coming for you. You know, the cream rises to the top. Any number of cliches, but I want to see I want to see some mic skills on Nathan Jones or anybody for that matter. Like if Madame Rose wanted to like let people know she's coming, I thought that would have been awesome too. I, I need some let's get some wrestling in this uh in this martial arts movie. You know what? Here you go, David. So when it gets revealed that poor Yai was killed for the bones, you know, maybe Com can have some line where it's like, you killed my poor Yai. Poor Yai died for nothing. And then you hear Mega Man go, oh, not for nothing, mate. And then he like rubs his stomach and he's like, implying yeah. that he ate okay. some of poor Yai. He had, a, he had an elephant burger. <laughs> and then later on, I don't know, maybe Com punches him through the stomach. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think... To punch this up, I, I would simplify the plot, but raise the stakes emotionally. So, like, I don't need to know about police corruption. I don't care. Like, you make friends with a with one of the cops or something, and that cop is an enemy of the restaurant, and like that can be enough. And then you can be friends with Mark. But like, I don't need I don't need all this plot. I can lose the mud dance. I can lose Mark's girlfriend. I can lose all of that. But I would I think bringing up the the mid level level bosses and even the main villain and giving them a little bit more spite at com would really help. Like you said, like really rub it in. Really talk about how they ate your friend. Like I, I want some <laughs> more of that because again. I do think Tony Jaa is capable of that much acting. I think he could. I think he could handle being upset. He seems to harness anger well to his, uh, you know, fight scenes and stuff. So yeah, that's how I'd fix it. Yeah, me too. Put it on a T-shirt. I believe in Tony Jaa. Here's the problem with watching as many action movies is it does uh, change my brain a little bit. We just watched Sun Death again, where Jean Claude Van Damme at some point thought it was a good idea to pretend to be a hockey goalie. So there's a moment here where Mega Man goes after Kam, Tony Jaa, and the other biggies start to go after Korn, the baby elephant. There's a moment where like both like Kam and Korn like turn to face the bad guys. And I'm like, oh shit, is Korn about to fight? Like I thought for <laughs> sure that like we we cut, we flashback, here's the punch up. We flashback to that scenes we saw earlier where we thought it was some playful wrestling between Kam and Korn. Uh-uh, Kam was teaching Korn how to fight. Next thing you know, bring back that puppet arm inside that <laughs> elephant truck. Corn is like killing bad guys. And at some moment, like like the driver in the elevator in drive, uh, Calm looks around and baby Corn is like smashed some dude too much. And now his head is just like Play-Doh. And Calm's like, hey, 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 Corn, 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 take it easy. But yeah, I want Corn to kick some fucking ass. And also, you know what? Go ahead. It, it, sometimes obvious things need to work. Put a little uh, Adidas over it, a little freak on a leash. Let's hear some actual corn music <laughs> for for corn the elephant. All right, please join me in the Punch Mound video store. We have three copies of this movie. As you know, Punch Mound is an all-action movie video store. So what shelves, what subsections of action 
Where would you put these uh, copies, David? I'm going to shelf two of them. I'm going to put the first one on the Thailand shelf. This is our first entry from Thailand. I look forward to more. Along those lines, this is going to be our first entry on the Tony Jaw shelf. I look forward to more of those as well. Uh, so that's going to leave us with a third copy. I'll defer to our guest. Kath, do you have uh, any idea where to stock this one? I'd throw this on the animal-based revenge shelf. Most famously John Wick, as you've talked about, but I know there are others. So I can't, can't think what they are off the top of my head, but I know they exist. So yeah, put, put it on there. I love it. That's great. Revenge for blank would be a good shelf. I would say, you know, for the month of October, a special employee pick, I would put this on a shelf called Drinking Games, where you'd put the movie and then there'd be a little card explaining the drinking game. And uh, Kath, if people were doing this uh, game New Hampshire style, what would they be drinking? I mean, we were underage, so whatever we could get I, I our hands on, for sure. <laughs> um, I feel, I mean, we were probably drinking, you know, it's been so long since I lived there. I don't know what the, like, local beer is. We were probably just drinking PBR well, What do dirtbag teenagers drink in New Hampshire? I mean, like Natty Ice, probably. Or, uh, you know, there we Farm. Go. It's classic, you know, classic underage drinking. We don't really have a specialty. Gotta play the think. hits. Oh, uh, wait, does this show encourage underage drinking? Uh, David, delete this whole file. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now it's come down to it. It's time to discover the position of the protector on the definitive ranking of action movies, a.k.a. Punch Mountain. And as a reminder, at the summit, currently the top six, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Raid 2, The Matrix, Jurassic Park, Hardboiled, and John Wick, and all the way in the basement of the Thai restaurant slash human trafficking hotel, it is number 44, Chappie. So, David, before we reveal the mountains ranking, where would you put this movie? I'm torn. I really am. I'll, I'll say this. for This is the definitive ranking of action movies. This is an action-y movie. The action parts of this movie deliver. I think we've had a lot of fun with the edits. I think we've had a lot of fun with the stuff that doesn't work. But the action works, period. It it came to play. It did its job. I think that should be rewarded. So I would say surprisingly high on this mountain. How about, how about panel? Yeah, this might be a bad movie. But the action in this movie is fucking good. And Tony Jaa is great. And there's a lot of very exciting parts in this movie. And we get to see a fake elephant get thrown. So, yeah. It, again, if this was a sight and sound list, it might not be as high. But this is Punch Mountain. So we'll see. We'll see where it ends up. Kat, do you have any over, final thoughts about this movie, I guess? Yeah, I, I guess, like, I love this movie. But it really does make me sad in retrospect. Because, like, Tony Jaa is such an incredible performer. He's so fantastic. And he really wasn't able to, like, make anything even as good as this. And this isn't that good. <laughs> so like, it's a real bummer because he had so much potential. Like as an action star, I think he really could have been incredible. But it makes me really sad that he he wasn't able to really rise to his the, the potential that he had. Um, but yeah, it's really hard because you're it depends on what you're rating on. As a movie, this is trash. Like I'm looking at your list and from your list, I think it would probably be in the high 30s as a movie. But for the action, I feel like I got to put it more in like the mid 20s, I think. As a movie, there's some movies on this list that shouldn't be on a list. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the beauty of the list. Oh no, hide your elephant skeletons. The rocks are falling off the face of the mountain. The golden letters are appearing, revealing the position of the protector. It's number 13. That means 11, Road Warrior, 12, Roadhouse, 13, The Protector, 14, Hard Target, 15, Dread, 16, The Rock. Some uh, a higher position than many of us thought. I feel honored to have suggested a movie that is ranked so highly on uh, on your show. I really, it really means a lot to me. I feel like I did a good job. You did an amazing job, Kath. <laughs> you did. I think, I think this is probably the closest we come to a movie that's all killer, no filler. 
but from a lousy band, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense because, but some of that filler, it's like all killer and also some stuff that wasn't filler that you absolutely needed. (laughs) It's like, oh, we forgot to record the drums or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. All killer, some skits. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's hits and skits. That's that's Oh, there it is. Kath Barbadoro, thank you so much for doing this. Do you have anything you want to plug or promote? I do. Um, I have two podcasts. One of them is called What a Time to Be Alive. It comes out every week. It's about dumb news stories. My other one is called Lie, Cheat, and Steal. We do two free episodes of that a month, two paid episodes a month on our Patreon. That is a show about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I also do stand-up comedy, mostly in the New York City area. So uh, if you're looking for dates to come see me, follow me on social media. I'm at Kath Barbadoro everywhere. I also have uh, a new clip out on Cracked of a set of mine. So you can watch me do stand-up on YouTube if you want. Kath, you were one of the uh, funniest people in Austin, and now you're one of the funniest people on the planet. Definitely check out Kath's stand-up and both their podcasts. Very, very funny. Kath, you were... Besides being an uh, insightful person, I know that you're a huge wrestling fan and that you, you got action in your blood. So uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for accepting our invitation, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Very happy to have you. And folks, that'll do it for another edition of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. You can also join us on Discord. The link is in our link tree. The link tree is on our Instagram. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week from 2010, directed by Albert and Alan Hughes, starring Denzel Washington, it's The Book of Eli with special guest, comedian Brian Gutman. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. <laughs>